Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, I'm back in Chicago. Uh, you are in your normal recording situation. I'm in my normal recording situation. Is, is yeah, I'm not going to be editing this in the middle of the night after a 12-hour ordeal of a plane flight. I'm very excited, is what I have to say, about a normal podcasting <sighs> schedule for us. No! No! <laughs> oh, let me eat these carrot sticks I have. <laughs> no. Um, I, I'm very glad that you're back in your normal space and routine. What's that? I hear a helicopter coming. Oh, those only happen when I'm at Comic-Con. And only when we're recording, apparently, as we learned. <laughs> it's been a busy couple of weeks, uh, everyone. So thank you for bearing with uh, my less than ideal audio quality. I should mention um, that this week I was a guest on Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. Of course, friends of the show, Paul Goebel and David Bax. Uh, Paul took the week off, but David and I talked Comic-Con. That's right, Noel. More Comic-Con talk. Uh, we managed to go for ninety minutes, uh, but I only did uh, I, I only did a few minutes on Steven Universe. I was rather uh, proud of myself that I managed to not just repeat myself talking about Steven Universe. But anyways, that was great talking with David. You guys can check that out over at Hey Watch This. Um, but we're done with Comic Con talk, uh, though I guess we'll have fall preview talk coming up soon. And life is back to normal for, for us, Noel, but it's crazy for at least my Twitter feed. Is your Twitter feed going crazy with TCAs? Uh, a little bit crazy. Uh, I also haven't just been deciding not to pay too much attention to my Twitter feed mm-hmm. for the, the past week because TCAs just bombards and I don't need to read the same five tweets from five different people. Yeah, it's just like I don't I don't need that, and I especially don't need it when one reporter is also managing like the publication Twitter feed that I follow, mm-hmm. and it's the same tweet. And yeah, it's like no, that's that's not how this works, guys. You you, you do something different. <laughs> yeah, well, because it'll be nothing, 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 and then like all of the people that I follow who are at TCAs, which is a not insubstantial right. number of people, not unsubstantial, I should say, number of people, uh, will all tweet practically the same thing now when it is the one piece of news to come out of tcas that i'm very excited about then i don't mind and that is of course the fabulous casting announcement of blackish next season do you know what it is no what is this debbie diggs is coming on to play bo's brother that was a, i felt like that was announced before tca it might have been but i didn't hear about it because i oh, was okay. in my comic-con bubble Okay, yeah, no, I think that was announced. I thought you were talking about something else. No, he'd been tweeting pictures from, like, the writer's room or something, or, like, the the costuming area. Oh, so. well, see, this is very exciting. I, I was out of the yeah. loop, and so yeah. I saw, like, the five or six tweets that were all identical and went, yay! Yeah. Yay! Happy no, hands. That's going to be very exciting. Yes. It's almost worth him leaving Hamilton for, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what are the chances I'm going to be able to see him on... On, Never. On Hamilton. Yeah, Never. No, no. So at least I can watch him on Blackish this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, is that still going for like, what, another week or so? Or is TCA yeah. almost over? No, like they're, they're, they, they have like NBC still. Um, so no, no, they did NBC like today or yesterday, uh, which means that they still have three other networks to get through. Oh, no. Um, 
Yeah, so it'll be a while before they're done with anything. Okay, well, that tells you, listeners, how much we're paying attention to TCAs. I'm sure uh, once everything comes, you know, once we're through TCAs and people are maybe tweeting about the high points and low points and, like, the biggest news out of it, then we might have more thoughts. But for now, I don't even want to be thinking about the fall schedule too much yet because there's there's so much that's going to change as they're looking at their lineups and, like, juxtaposing them against other people and we're going to have a fall preview as we head into the the end of uh, end of august and beginning of september but for for now i'm i'm happy just catching up on the summer stuff so like i still haven't gone back for kimmy schmidt yet <laughs> mm-hmm. i still haven't seen much uh i still haven't even watched the first episode of love so yeah i'm gonna worry about that before i worry too much about tcas whereas i'm mostly gonna be like oh well i guess i should watch all these screeners <laughs> there is okay. that yeah, I'll do that. Um, yay. I'm not excited about any of these shows, but yay. Yay. Well, uh, you know a show we are excited about, Noel, and that's our show that we talked about this week at the, at the DVD shelf with returning guest John Clark from Caffeinated Comics, Pinky and the Brain. Yeah! So much brain, fun. Brain, 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 <laughs> brain, 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 Yeah, a little bit of 90s nostalgia here at the Televerse. Um, that's coming at the end of the podcast. Uh, but for now, we should get to our weekend TV because now that I was back home, I had time to watch stuff. While I was, you know, organizing my life again, so uh, so, so so I will actually be able to contribute to the podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. You contribute in a lot of ways to the podcast. Oh shucks! Um, but well, you do you do all the you do all the labor. So details details. <laughs> Clearly, all that matters, Noel, is opinions. I mean, that's how it works. Yeah. Well, we will have plenty of thoughts as soon as we come back with uh, our week in TV. So we'll take a break, listen to a little music, and be right back after this. This week in comedy, reality, and genre. That's right, everyone. We're melding them all together for a delightful uh, smorgasbord of not drama this week uh, in these two segments. Uh, We're going to, well, I should say I'm going to talk a bit about BoJack Horseman Season 3. I've watched the first couple episodes, so I'll have some thoughts on that. Um, Survivor's Remorse is back for Season 3, and so last week there were the first two episodes. This week there was the thank you note. Um, Then we'll talk some about, about the wrecked finale, Javier and the Gang, and Cop Tricks. Uh, then I'll talk a bit about the preacher finale call and response and really how season one is sort of shaped up. Uh, we'll move over to reality with a little great British baking show talk, Victorian and patisserie, as well as, uh, you know, of course, Steven Universe. We can't have a podcast went during a mid Stephen bomb and not talk Stephen Universe. So this week that means Greg the Babysitter, Gem Hunt, Crack the Whip, Stephen versus Amethyst, and Bismuth. Um, not on here, though I feel like it deserves a mention uh, are the ABC reality shows, which I also caught up with. Hair. Hair. Did you see this match game? 
Uh, which match game are you thinking of? Because I watched this past Sunday's. The one where the guy said you're on a desert island with Scarlett Johansson. Please oh, send yeah. That, that was a couple of hair. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, see, I watched them all together. Yeah. That was might have been the most I laughed at something this this week. It was very funny to me. Um, but that is more of a, less of a statement. Well, I guess it, it's both. Because it's a statement on how hilarious that segment was. Because it was a terrible answer. And the contestant got the appropriate amount of, of shade from both uh, Alec Baldwin and... Everyone. From everyone, yeah. Um, but it also is a bit of a statement on the comedies, uh, some of the comedies that I was watching. And uh, first up is Bojack Horseman. I, I really liked, especially um, season two of Bojack Horseman. Season one was a little slow going for me, but by the end of the first season, I was very engaged. Season two, I thought, was very strong, like, right off the bat. And uh, I really was impressed with how that whole arc went. And it had a very powerful for me... Um, final thought that it sort of ended on season three i'm having trouble with noel and i I watched the first two in a row and i was like halfway through the third episode when i just was like you know what i don't i don't need to watch all of these like we weren't planning to talk about it on the podcast it's not like i needed to have a hot take for something um and so you know i was like "Mm, i'm gonna rewatch baking show because i just like I was having I'm, I'm having a really hard time with this because it, it feels very what they've done is after establishing where Bojack is at last season was very de- dedicated to like this his making of this movie about Secretariat that he's starring in um, and this season they wanted to hit some of the same ideas so they went back and have added in elements to his timeline so like now we, we spent a couple episodes or at least one episode the second episode in 2007 and so they um, there's uh, now there's like a pilot or a show that he did in in 07 that failed for various reasons and they, they're sort of adding this mythology in but not really moving the character forward in a way that is meaningful and that's uh, it's a little frustrating to me because but the end of the last season seemed to show him coming to a realization if not like a massive life change and that seems to be gone now here at the beginning of season three while it's picking up very much where it left off. So um, that's a little frustrating for me. I, it's, it's the whole Mad Men thing we've talked about previously where it's like, okay, if you want to show a character coming to an understanding, then what comes next? And if, if the answer is, oh, backsliding and repeating the same behavior, that's fine. And maybe that's realistic depending on your worldview, but it's not engaging and it's not something that I necessarily want to spend my time with so um so far I'm having a little trouble with season three of Bojack uh, certainly not binging it the way that I happily did with season two so I would like to hear from some of our listeners if they've watched it if I should like push through if there's a particular episode where it really takes off and and improves or um if they feel like there's not a difference in the the seasons and the quality I would be intrigued to hear that as well um but I'm having a little trouble with it I'm not having trouble with season three of Survivor's Remorse, which I continue to really enjoy. Uh, this week had the thank you note, but um, I say not laughing so much because the first two episodes are barely funny because they killed off a character, Noel, and they killed off one of my favorite characters, and it's sad. I wish they hadn't, but I get that they did, and I get why and everything. Don't want to say more than that uh, in case spoilers, I guess. But, um... So the first two episodes of the season were very dramatic with just occasional laughs interspersed. This third episode really kicks up the humor quite a bit more. We get um, characters being neurotic about thank you notes, uh, which is something I certainly can relate to and was very much enjoying. Um, the, the gang gets invited 
uh, to go hunting with some, with with a, a wealthy um, couple or family, uh, African American or Black family, I should say, in Atlanta. And um, you know, it was like a we're sorry for your loss. Please come with us in hunting, and you know that kind of. I, I don't know how <laughs> that translates. Somebody you care about is dead. Go hunting with strangers, but you know apparently that's a thing that can happen. Uh, there, there's a great line though about like duck. I don't want to chain you. Uh, that was delightful, and uh, I continue to really enjoy the the balance on the show of interpersonal dynamics and uh and gags the humor is very at this point very character driven um you feel like you definitely know who these people are and they get themselves into um more heightened situations but it's less about the situation being ridiculous than it is about the their the characters reactions to the situations um feeling extreme uh and and yet still organic to the character, at least in this episode, this third episode. And I was really uh, connecting with that. So I very much enjoy Survivor's Remorse and uh, hope that some of our listeners are watching it because I think it's really, really fun. And certainly one of the more interesting comedies going right now. Um, do, have you, do you have any interest in Survivor's Remorse? If, I, don't, I don't know. Do you get this channel? I think it's on Stars, right? It is on Stars. Um, and before you even started talking about it right now, I had no idea what this show was. Oh, okay. I had to look it up while you were talking about it because I was just like, I've never even heard of this. Oh, okay. So I'm going to look this up while Kate's talking about it <laughs> and find out what this is. Well, it, for those listeners who, like you, don't know, this is a show, it's a comedy um, about a, a basketball player who goes pro and is from uh, a, a poor background and gets ends up is a star player on a, a high profile team and so makes like a has like a multi million dollar contract and then it's uh, about him moving and having this new lifestyle and bringing his family with him and his his uh, cousin is his agent so there's like elements of entourage but you know not douchey. <laughs> uh, and um, and there's uh, the the manager of the team isn't uh, will show, pop up every now and again, but mostly it's the dynamics of the family. Uh, there, there's a lot of talk of co-opting and fame and ownership of, and identity in regards to um, Cam, who's the player, uh, and what how much he owns himself and how much the team does. Uh, the interaction with the fans as well is, is a big part, at least in the first two seasons of, um, you know, in, in his maturity level as he's dealing with all of this. Um, that's definitely a progression and an arc over the first two seasons. This season, so far, he's much more grounded and he's much more um, together. They, the team has barely, has just all been entirely in the background so far this season and all interpersonal dynamics but it's it's one that i really enjoy so if you have some spare time and look are looking for something to check out i would certainly recommend it okay i'll file it away yeah um but let's move on to a show that you have seen uh <laughs> and that's uh wrecked which had its season one finale this week it was two episodes javier and the gang and cop tricks i was so glad when eliza coop showed back up for this episode because i loved that she was in the pilot and then she was presumably dead and i was so sad so I was very happy she was back. What did you think about Javier and the gang? I was really very excited about the prospect of there being other survivors because I kept waiting mm -hmm. for Tailies, Kate. I kept waiting for yeah. Tailies. And we got Tailies, except none of them were real. Yeah. Wah, wah. Eliza Coop had gone insane. I thought it, I thought that basically without Eliza Coop doing that part, that entire section would have fallen apart really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, just because this idea of a crazy person who's turned 
like objects into something to talk to to survive has been done for comedy enough already that you need someone really gifted to make that work at this point without it feeling kind of trite. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, and it's such a specific point in Last Man on Earth pilot. It's just like, yes. and it was done so well there that it, it, it just, at this point it felt like I need, I almost wanted it to be a little bit more specifically a Last Man on Earth parody. Yeah. But I don't know. But I, in the end, I think, I think that Eliza Coop made it work. Right, and that's that's where I felt like that without her, this would have just kind of not gone anywhere really interesting. But she was so committed. <laughs> so, so committed to just the shifts in her character's lying perspective of, you're right, there isn't anyone. You're right, you're right. Why don't you just go to sleep? And we'll, in the morning, we'll go back. And then, you know, he wakes up and he's just, she's just, yeah, I know, we gotta kill him. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, that was great. It was really, really good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that aspect a whole lot. And I enjoyed the fact that the raft ended up bringing them right back to the island. <laughs> oh, those poor schmucks. <laughs> well, if it, it didn't bring them back to the island, it would have brought them to their death. Because you don't yeah. just paddle into the open ocean <laughs> hoping. That's like, it's a stupid idea. Um, but it doesn't give us any answers for, uh, uh, the Ginger Gonzaga character. Uh, right. I was waiting for her to be, like, on the boat with the pirates, like, they found her, yes. and that's and how... And she may be in the next season. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I'm hoping happened, because otherwise, they just let that woman die. <laughs> yeah. Well, they've been very deliberate in not killing characters until this finale. Um, yes. On screen, um... And, uh, so, that, like, even less Coop, she can just mm-hmm. be off in the jungle until she has some free time and they want to bring her back and then they can bring her back. And so I'm sure that's what's going to happen with that character. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the last week's episode that was very Steve-centric? Oh, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, it yeah. just, Reese Darby is fantastic, so right. give him more to do and he's going to nail it. Um, and them going, like, full-on crazy with it, I thought was really entertaining. I also like this, in the back of my head, it's very possible that they're, like, barely offshore of a major populated area. I kept waiting for a big, like, tourist, like, resort reveal at some point. Yeah. Like, some sort of random Gilligan's Island joke that, oh, no, we lost another island. Oh, wait, this is just a resort. Oh, we're fine. Everyone is cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if it was like a miniseries, that's what I would anticipate. Haven't just yeah. at the end here. Um, but because it's already been renewed for another season, obviously yeah. they're going to get more out of it. But I like the way they ended it. I like that um, they, they they get this. They're d- pivoting, at least for the first episode next season, into something different um, but related. And I like the reveal that Danny is actually a bajillionaire. Um, where his family is. and uh, Which explains why he was able to afford all those great sex toys. It does. It does. <laughs> and pay for them to be shipped. I mean, that, that that trunk had to be really expensive to put on the plane. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, they carry <laughs> on for that. Kate's doing a face of like, why are you even thinking about the logistics of this novel? <laughs> uh, well, you know, the, the creativity of, of TV writers is certainly one that uh, something to be appreciated. It, it makes him like the the show's Hurley analog in a nice yeah. way that I think is, is fun. Um, and I don't know. I, just, I really am very much enjoying the dynamics on the show. I, I think that they kept Pac um, on the edge for the right amount of time. Yeah. Before bringing him back here. And, um, you know, yeah, it, it, I, I just I thought that the season ended up 
much better structured than I would have imagined. Yes. And much, with much stronger legs. Like, it lasted a lot better this first season than I would have maybe predicted. Yeah, Um. so based on, like, what Wrecked has done, and also Angie Tribeca, but also Detour, how are you feeling about TBS's, like, original comedy programming so far? Because they're about to launch a couple of new shows as well this fall, one of which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get your take on how you were feeling based on this current lineup of original, not counting American Dad, since that was an import. Um, but like, how are you feeling about their comedy development, especially since they changed things up a little bit with uh, Kevin O'Reilly coming in? Yeah, I've been really enjoying it on the whole. I mean, I'm a little leery because I liked season one of Angie Tribeca quite a bit more than season two. Yes. So that has me a little leery uh, about uh, season two of, of Wrecked and some of these other shows. But then again, the setup for season two of The Detour is even more exciting than season one. So that's one that I certainly could see. Like It, it felt like it really found its groove through the season and could be even better next season. But I mean, these, these are all shows that I have really enjoyed and uh, I think have a lot of potential. Um, the the energy of them it feels like something that other networks aren't necessarily go- going for and i appreciate that specificity um and certainly i mean if they're they really feels like they're building their brand around the full frontal with sam b which is a show that i watch every week i'm excited for every week so um and that and like we talked about in our comic-con wrap-up i i've already seen the people of earth pilot and that one's really strong too so there's there's, I think, more good things coming um, for, or at least I would anticipate based on their track record so far, more good things coming at TBS with comedy. How about you? I'm also feeling pretty good in part because I feel like they're launching a bunch of really high concept sitcoms that should kind of fall apart after the first season, basically. Mm-hmm. And with the glaring exception of like Andy Tribeca's second season, which has been we'll talk about we'll talk about it more next week with its finale um but even like something like when i when they did the preview for search party which comes at starts in november um when they did the preview for it during the andrew tribeca thon back in january i was just like how is this a, how is this a show basically yeah and now i'm just like i cannot wait to watch this show because wrecked really isn't something that should have worked for more than like five episodes because it just came off as a lost parody like 10 years too late yeah and it's it does really good lost parody when it wants to but for the most part it's like found its own groove of doing something pretty funny and so that makes me more optimistic about search party detour similarly also is something like oh what are they gonna do just another road trip in season two and then no they're just like no we got this covered guys don't worry and she's like, yes, let's see what you guys got mm-hmm. type of thing. So I'm I'm feeling really excited. And based on your response to the people of Earth pilot as well is another type kind of like, again, a really high concept type of sitcom where you go, well, how do you keep the sustained pr- premise wise, basically, without running out of ideas? And now I'm like, I'm not I, I don't have that question anymore. And that's really exciting. 
Yeah. It, it's nice to see, because like, some of the different networks each have their, well, not some, many of the networks have a, a particular kind of brand they're going for with their comedies. ABC has all these great family comedies uh, that we're really enjoying right now. And, uh, you know, obviously Comedy Central has its own flavor uh, of comedy. But, you know, I don't know that, I feel like Fox is really struggling with what exactly its comedy voice is at this point. And, um, I mean, would you say that there is one at NBC? I mean, they've got Carmichael Show, they've got Superstore. It's well, basically, we thought that these shows would get canceled. Oh, but they're really good. Right. And it's also important to remember, and um, I think Daniel Feinberg from THR pointed this out on Twitter, is that Carmichael Show is the senior NBC comedy right now. And it's like almost a year old. <laughs> it's only done two seasons, and they've both been really short seasons. <laughs> yeah. But yep. it's their longest running comedy right now. And yet, I mean, the same is true of uh, TBS. They've only had comedy basically this year, unless you want to count Conan. Uh, and yet it feels like they have a really distinct brand. So that's yes. something that I think they've done very, uh, very well. So um, it's not like I, I'm not as confident in, in their comedy brand as I was in, say, AMC's drama brand back, you know, a while ago. Not anymore, like 10 guys. Years ago. Before Low Winter Sun, people. Before all of that, like around the Rubicon era. The Beast? Oh my God, Feed the Beast! That 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 ad Tuesdays at ten for two. Oh, we get it, we get it. And and when you watch on demand, that that ad plays like every single ad break. Anyways, um, no, I've not been keeping up with Feed the Beast, but but I but I am certainly um very excited for what they have coming. So I think it's been a, a much more successful. I mean, like, like you said, Wrecked shouldn't have worked for a full season, and they've done a good job with it, I would say. So yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I don't know how many people are talking about it or are watching no, it. No, but but it, it's enough that I'm, and Kevin Riley also like tends to keep shows on a long leash if he can, if mm -hmm. he likes them. So it's just like he's willing to like mix things up and figure out like how things work. Yeah. And which is kind of what both TBS and TNT really need right now, just from an industrial standpoint, because TBS was really kind of floundering, except for having the lucrative Big Bang Theory reruns, which were keeping them afloat, basically. And the American Dad reruns, which they then just took over entirely from a production standpoint. But even TNT was just like, we don't really have anything that's kind of clicking. Um, yeah, we need something. And now Riley's in and is like, I, I got ideas, guys. I got ideas. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens with that uh, as they begin their big development push uh, in the fall. But um, yeah. for now, let's move on to our next finale, which is the one another one that, that another show that, that you have not kept up with, understandably. Um, uh, so I'll monologue here for just a bit about Preacher. Sure. Uh, they had. I the, know what happens. So yeah, you're good. <laughs> they had call and response. Um, this is one where. Um, I had, didn't realize I had been spoiling people for back before the show started. Oh when no, I was, what did you do? When I was talking about the premise of Preacher, my understanding, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the finale yet, people, um, my, my understanding of what the show Preacher was going to be, it's about this guy who has the, like, the voice of God who's on a mission to find God and demand answers or kill God. And so I had been saying that before the show premiered because I didn't know uh, that's how they yeah. were going to end season one. Right. Because that's the, as I understand it, not having read the comics, that's the premise of the comics. So what yes. that means is they took a whole 
10 episode season to establish the premise of the comics. They literally blow up the town in this finale. Uh, everyone in the town dies. So every character we spend any time with except the three leads gets killed in the final moments of this, including the 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 quasi love interest and her small children. Um oh, and sad. yeah, off screen. And now oh, they're off even worse. Yeah, they like it it's a whole thing. And then the three leads are in a car and they drive off into the you know, into the horizon. Um you didn't need ten episodes for that show. You really, really didn't. And especially you didn't need like it just feels like so much so much build up that just and so much staggering and like waiting way too long for characters to accept lessons that we should have seen them learn earlier in the season. I don't know why we watched ten episodes to get us to this point. And especially on AMC, which is not averse to doing six episodes for seasons on something like Fear the Walking Dead or sure. The Walking Dead. I don't know why they thought this needed ten. And it's it's very likely that they're just like, we can get ten out of this. Money's money's it's so pretty. Uh, and that's why they did it, but it certainly, I think, hampered the the pacing and the the energy of the show. Now, that's speaking as someone who doesn't care about the comic personally and who doesn't care to watch just for the spectacle of it. And I know a lot of people watch for the spectacle. And if you that's why you're watching, this show absolutely delivered on that front. I was I finished it because it was the finale and because people were kind of talking about it and because I'd already watched like seven of them. So I was like, well, might as well finish it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if I didn't have a podcast, I certainly wouldn't have come back to it. Um, you didn't come back to it. Uh, and I don't know how much, you know, I, I think, I think some of the performances really grew on me over the season. Certainly, uh, I'm much more invested in Jesse than I was in the first couple of episodes. Continue to love Tulip continue to enjoy Cassidy. Uh, so they're taking the best elements of the show and moving them, like continuing with them. But I mean, who, it's just frustrating because it's a prime example of you don't need 10. We were, they were spinning their wheels for weeks on, on this season and it's just, it's a shame. Um, but hey, it was a very successful first season for the show and for the network as far as I understand. Uh, lots of buzz online and I'm sure AMC is very happy um, so now that they've had their, their big, you know, prequel origin story season. Yeah. It, it feels like they took something. And again, I apologize if I'm giving everybody bad intel here. Comics fans, feel free to drop a line at the televerse.org. Leave a comment. Let me know all the ways that I'm getting this wrong. Um, but what it feels like is that they took something that's like flashbacks and interspersed it and like within the regular narrative and made that be the first season. Um, and I don't know if that's the case or not, but um, so I, don't, I just, I didn't connect with some of the choices and um, how the season was structured. But I, I could see coming back to this in, in, if it's on a similar, at, at a similar time of the year next year and it's equally, like there are a few weeks there where there weren't a lot of shows, I could see keeping up with it. Um, I don't know that I will eagerly anticipate it. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess we'll see when it comes back next season whether I'm, like, willing to check it out. Certainly, it, there's nothing here to turn me off of the series more than the rest of the season. Right. And there's potential, now that things are actually moving, that it could get more interesting. So, I guess we'll see. But, yeah, you know, it's nice to see Ruth Naga get such a, a charismatic 
turn, uh, like it was a character to work with. And, um, I liked the commitment to Cassius vampire and people, everybody finding out about that pretty quickly. Um, so there certainly was some stuff to enjoy here and I don't feel like I wasted my time. I was able to watch it a lot easier than I was a certain other show we're going to be talking about in our weekend drama. Um, but nowhere near as eagerly as, of course, we devoured more episodes of The Great British Baking Show this week. Oh, I am so fat we... on Victorian cakes <laughs> and Eclair Towers, Kate. So uh, fat. <laughs> yeah. The, like, can, we, can we talk a little bit about this week's Great British Baking Show? I mean, first of all, I should say that uh, I was a guest on... Um, word of mouth um, on New Hampshire NPR uh, talking about Great British Baking Show uh, and how much I love it. Uh, so thank you to them for having me on. You guys can check that out at the word of mouth website. Uh, but uh, I mean, we, we, I feel like we need to talk about some of the stuff that, that some, some of, of these moments because I mean, that mocha teen, like I was watching the patisserie episode like earlier today as we record, I was rewatching it and I was both going, that looks horrible to have to make, and I really wish I had the free time to make that right now. <laughs> uh, I, I never have that response. Um, I have the opposite response of, oh, I'd like to eat that right now. Um, <laughs> because the idea of baking half of what they bake just like scares me half to death, because I know it'll just come out like a brick. Or it'll come out like Matt's sugar cake paste. And it looked like a high C ecto cooler. <laughs> oh, Matt. Now, who yeah. did you feel worse for, Matt or Paul? I felt really bad for Paul, more so than Matt, because Matt, Matt, Matt started that week just going like, "I'm going home." <laughs> he was he he knew like before the weekend started, he was just like, "I'm not comfortable with any of this." I'm probably going to go home. And I th feel like he had internalized this idea that he was going home, which may have self-sabotaged himself a little bit. Mm -hmm. But he was just really uncomfortable with a lot of it, even though he had like a great, great, great grandparents, Victorian era <laughs> meat pie pan from 1850 that impressed Paul a great deal. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just like he, he was just like, I, I, got, I got nothing for this. I'm not even going to try. Um, he tried, but he was just like, I'm not expecting anything. So I ended up feeling bad for Paul, who had just a really just rough weekend in patisserie. I keep wanting to say rotisserie, which isn't correct for this show. Very different. Yeah, yeah no, very, very different. <laughs> Even though they did have to do meat pie. So, I mean, there could have been, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I just ended up feeling really bad for Paul. Um, especially the um, Charlotte Russe was just... Poor guy, the thing just yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, just like almost like... as bad as I felt for Flora's uh, pastry, uh, puff pastries that just kept dripping and yeah. stopped drifting. Well, but I, I would feel worse for her if she hadn't been so committed to the visual presentation of hers. That right again, she's doing too. She's much. doing it to herself. Like yeah. as soon as it starts dripping out the bottom, you have to realize oh, this won't work. I can't have them up like cones. I need to at least put them on their sides in the freezer and then I can turn them up after. You know what I mean? Like, she did yeah. not handle that ch change. Like, when, when she has is having issues arise for her, I don't know how well, I don't think she's handling them very she's well. 
Yeah, and I think that's her, her inexperience up. coming through. Yeah. And, I mean, she had a similar issue with, um, God, she had a lard leak um, mm-hmm. for, like, the raised pies that they had to do. And she's just like, I, I, got, I got nothing. Yeah. I'm going to, like, put some piping around it. There you go. And do that. <laughs> and she's like, no, that's, that's not going to work because that's just, you're losing all your fat. <laughs> that's that's a problem when you're doing meat pie. Uh, let's if we're talking about meat pies, we gotta give a little love to Tamal. Gosh, right? That was amazing. He was doing really really good work. Um, I mean, a he got a he he got a handshake. He got a Paul Hollywood handshake. That's a powerful thing. Right, but then even I think more powerful than that was his Charlotte Russe, and when he got a thing from Mary Berry, basically like, you didn't need any dividers. You got this. Nice. And it's just like. It's just like, that's all you needed from Mary Berry is going like, you didn't need that because this is perfect. And it's just like, Mary Berry's telling you that your patisserie is perfect. Yeah. You can just like go die happy. Right. Die a happy baker. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't even need to win. (laughs) You're just like, Mary Berry said that this was great. I'm good guys. I don't even care at this point. But I love Tamal in like the interviews because he's just like, "I, I won Star Baker. Uh, but now the confidence is back to where it needs to be. I'm back in my place. And she's like, I love how he just refuses to accept that he's going to win. Mm-hmm. And which I, I, I don't know if like the show's giving me the edit mm-hmm. of underdog type of situation for him to win in the end type of thing. Yeah. Which I don't think they are. Um, but it's because I don't know how like they produce this enough to totally get how this works. Uh so I, I, I still have all my hopes on Nadia. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I really enjoyed these two episodes. They made me happy. But every episode of Baking Show makes me happy. Yep, pretty much. Uh, I will say, though, uh, I'm glad. While, I mean, I do think from what we saw that Nadia deserves Star Baker for, for, for patisserie because just she was quite a bit ahead, specifically yeah. in the technical. Um, even though like, I, I like that they did ding her for being like, Dude, nobody wants a bubblegum flavored eclair with bubblegum icing next to more bubblegum icing. That's that's too much. Like a piece of bubblegum, I'm you know to listen at home. I'm holding up my fingers. Is this big? It's not big. It's a small piece of chewing gum. Like the the the. She's you know, doing the Bazooka bubble. Joe size. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not when you have that blue bubblegum or whatever. It's that's. As opposed to chewing gum, bubble gum is a small dose. It's not. A, can you imagine biting into an eclair filled with bubble gum flavored cream? I don't want to because here's the thing: is I don't like bubble gum very much. Well, there you go. And I, I also just don't chew gum very mm-hmm. regularly. Like I, I suck on gum. If people mm-hmm. give me gum, I suck on it and then just <laughs> spit it out. But I don't chew gum. And so the idea of a bubble gum flavored anything just made me go. No. I love how excited she was, and I loved how excited Paul was at just the idea of a bubblegum, because he got kind of giddy yeah. at the, uh, just smelling like the bubblegum oil. He got kind of the most boyishly excited I think I've ever seen him so far. Well, except for <laughs> when they talked about the banana cream or whatever, yeah. and he was like, oh, when I was a child, I loved banana. I was like, right. who are you? <laughs> yeah. And what have you done with this is delightful to see this side of him. Yeah. But I, I did enjoy, though, that as soon as, that, that he was like, he was so excited about the banana, and then he got so crushed when it was not banana enough. 
yeah. then the attempt to make it more banana, like, but it's fake banana. Yeah. It doesn't count. Oh, why are you lying to me all the time, other Paul? Why? <laughs> why? Why? I have very distinct childhood memories of what banana patisserie is supposed to taste like. Why aren't you matching what's in my brain? <laughs> Uh, no, I thought that was delightful. I was really, really enjoying seeing that that side of it. I think it's important to see that enthusiasm and that yes. infectiousness from from the judges as well as the host. I also really, really enjoyed. Was it Sue doing like a happy dance over the bubble gum? Yes, that, it was Sue. She was very excited about the bubble gum too. Yeah. So, but I was wondering where she was during the other patisserie when, and I I tweeted this to you because it was so obvious that she needed to be there, but. Paul is, like, making straining, grunting noises as he's trying to fill his cream horn. <laughs> and it's just, like, she's already, like, knee-deep in cream horn entendres, but she's mm-hmm. not there for Paul grunting while trying to fill a horn. I'm just like, where are... How did you miss this? Yeah. You know that she, like, saw Ned. It was like, damn it! <laughs> Why wasn't I moment. there for that? That would have been my moment. Yeah. But I mean, even just, like, going, like... Like, introducing the challenge with, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got the puns coming. The entendres are headed your way. Uh, it was delightful. The next episode is Chocolate. Uh, that's for the semifinal. And okay. uh, that one I certainly am looking forward to rewatching and to getting your take on. And that's all I will say about that. But I think it's, I'm, I'm just, I'm so glad how, how much um, you've really enjoyed baking show and that people seem to be responding to it really delightfully this is like what i was losing my head over bake off um when it was airing over in the uk last fall i mm-hmm. had like two or three people on twitter who knew about it and everybody else just looked at me like i was some crazy person so i'm glad that it's really at least among it's our really, twitter community yeah it's really taken off i've seen like four or five people like which is a sizable amount for a PBS reality show. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, really engaged with it. And, like, anytime, like, I mean, I watched this, like, the day after, and basically it's, like, two hours of me tweeting at you. Mm-hmm. And people just, like, circle in and rotate to discuss yeah. the episode with us or be like, oh, you just don't know or I can't wait. And it's just, like, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Very good. But well, also, so good. So good. So very good. It's Steven Universe. And um, this week, uh, well, last Friday, we had Greg the Babysitter. And this week, we had Jem Hunt, Crack the Lip, Steven versus Amethyst. And the two-part 100th episode, uh, like, extravaganza of Bismuth. Um, and so this one, th- what my main thing for this week, uh, I have two main takeaways. First, okay. Zoom Stevani with the sword. It was so freaking amazing. But my number one is I'm worried about Amethyst, guys. I'm very concerned about Amethyst. Okay, so first, Stevani is, I'm waiting for you to say I'm sorry, is like the best mic drop drop ever. Like, how is that a mic drop and yet totally a mic drop? (laughs) And then she's, he, she is racing towards Jasper on a lion with a sword and a shield. And I'm just like, Fuck yes. <laughs> this is everything. Like, and oh, that's why the sword's so big. Yes. Duh. How did it's I not the, connect that? It's to fight other quartzes, basically. Well, it's so that when, you know, well, obviously rose quartz is that size anyways, but just yeah. this idea of, no, 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 it's because that sword was not, is not for Steven and it's not really for Connie. That sword has been for Stevani this whole time. Yes. Which and I love. So exciting. And I saw a really good Tumblr post of 
presidential candidate Mashwana, there are pictures of you riding a horse while carrying a... <laughs> and she's just like, yeah, that was me. And it's just like, yes, that is what I need in my life. Uh, no, so it was really, really good, and I enjoyed it. And also just this idea that Stevani is so powerful that she, she's able to just knock Jasper back mm-hmm. when, I mean, Garnet is, like, having to put up a fight. It's yeah. just like, Yes. Well, and they've been training so much and so long. It's yeah. lovely to see that, yeah, that does pay off, even if you're two 14-year-olds. Right. I, I could talk about this, but I want to talk about Amethyst because the other thing that's... I am really worried about Amethyst because the show doesn't let Amethyst be happy, and that's making me really concerned <laughs> because mm-hmm. every time an episode starts with Amethyst having a nice time... I immediately now know something horrible is going to happen to Amethyst. <laughs> because it's what keeps happening. Like, there's the episode where she's hanging out with Greg watching VHS tapes. Something horrible happened to her at the end of that episode. It's just like, mm-hmm. why are bad things happening to Am- Why can't Amethyst be happy, Kate? Well, I think it's because she usually is happy. Whereas yeah. Pearl tends more towards melancholy. As mm-hmm. like it's sort of a default setting, so uh, they've explored that more and given her some resolution with some of that. Um, and I assume that that is coming. I, I, I think there's like a two-part amethyst thing headed our way in the next yeah. week, which um, would make sense given everything that's yeah. happened, especially this week. Yeah, um, I'm because of I'm actually a little bit more concerned for a different character um, in the by the end of the summer or by the end of the fall, I guess I'll say, um, because of some stuff from Comic-Con, but I'm going to leave that there. Uh, so I'm hoping that the stuff with Ameth- Amethyst will um, move to a, not like be resolved, but I, I, I'm hoping that we'll get some positive forward motion with Amethyst in, in this next week, in this last week of the summer of Stephen, like every day episodes um but certainly I, I thought the delivery that we were getting the performance from Michaela Dietz was was really very strong here um I like that I like that there are some consequences to she never trains yeah and and Stephen and Connie have been training so intensely for I mean for what feels like a very long time and getting those pearl points from, well, and the pearl prize clearly. pouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I like that. Uh, the, I like that, that that is reflected, and and that she's still very powerful, and she's still a total badass. Um, but that she's maybe not. She's not living up to what she could be if she wanted to spend more of her time that way. But I all. But I also like what they address more specifically in this episode. These episodes of this idea that everybody says, "Oh no, you're perfect the way you are. You're perfect the way you are." she is not right she's not what she is supposed to be it's like saying you know if if you're born if someone is born with a birth de- birth defect and saying oh well you're perfect the way you're like well that's easy for you to say because you were born with uh, 10 fingers 10 toes or you know whatever fill in the blank you were not born with a heart condition so it's easy for you to tell me born with a heart condition that that i'm perfect the way i am when that's just not true and that yeah. life will be harder for me and that that's something that should be accepted and 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 understood and grappled with and not just brushed aside so i liked that 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 element that they were giving her to you know i like very much that they had her 
really showing how much Rose meant to her and Rose ex- Rose's acceptance, how much that meant to her, which is not something I think we haven't really seen as much from that character. Um, but then also having that counterpointed with this notion that the where is it support and love and where is it platitudes? Yeah, that's really significant because it's just... And Rose is hanging over a lot of this stuff, and we can talk about her, especially in relation to the bismuth. I mean, we could probably just fill the next two hours talking about bismuth. Um, and we may, listeners. Yeah, this knows? may be a four-hour podcast, <laughs> and two hours of it will be Steven Universe, and you'll just have to deal with it. Um, it won't be, maybe. But <laughs> it's just this shadow of Rose is really starting to loom over things. Even like with Greg, the babysitter, it's just Mm -hmm. like, this is something that's happening. And where people fit in, how people are defining themselves in terms of, in in relation to Rose is like what's coming through a lot. Like last week was very much centered on Stephen trying to help people and realizing the limitations of this. And this week is feeling increasingly like, all right, how are we defining ourselves in relation to Rose and what is that meaning for us without Rose being here? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that really, as you pointed out, really clearly with Amethyst. And also just encountering Jasper, who's another Quartz. And we're seeing like even like personality traits between the Quartzes themselves who are very aggressive and forward-thinking uh, well not forward-thinking but impulsive thinking as opposed to planning thinking because i mean rose is just like how do i stop a ferris wheel i'm just gonna smash this control box and <laughs> that'll, then do just, it. that'll do it oh that didn't work well i'm just gonna grab the ferris wheel and it's just like that's a really aggressive type of thing but it's exactly what jasper or amethyst would also do to solve that problem if they were in the same situation mm-hmm. um so we're getting like a lot of different types of gem stuff with this week but we're also getting a lot of this is how rose this is how everyone's defining themselves in terms of rose and what are the ramifications of that so this is amethyst slacking off basically she's just like well there hasn't been anything really we need to fight and anything we've had to fight, we've been able to handle because we're awesome badasses. But, and they are. And they are. But it's you're getting out you're 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 being outclassed, but you're also just like I was told like you said, I was told I was okay. I was told I was good how I was and I I now need to know better. And that's that's really hard to accept and take in, and that's why she has to end up fighting Steven. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed how they're both just like, no, I'm going to prove to you that I'm the worst by fighting you. And I thought that was just really cute and really funny. Yeah. But it was a nice way to make sure that it didn't get too heavy, yeah. which was really important, I think, to avoid like too much seriousness within an 11-minute segment. You can do a lot more serious thing in like a half-hour segment, as the Bismuth episode proves quite handedly. But... They needed to dig in, basically, as a as an independent two-parter, basically, um, to show this amethyst struggle. Yeah, well, and you can see in their in their fight when when shit gets real, basically, there's an yeah. instant tonal shift when when the pillar almost crushes amethyst. Like Stephen's on top of it, and he he is able to break it in half with a shield but like you there's a tonal difference and that comes through in the animation and in the like the 
kind of sound uh, from the characters, but also in the scoring. And yeah. uh, and the same thing happens when when Steven starts to float away, because he still is a long way from being able to fully control that that power. And like the in, as soon as there are more serious stakes, the tone immediately shifts, and then it's resolved. They're back within like a safer bubble for lack of a better term and they can continue to hash out the stuff that they're dealing with um yeah rose has really lingered like you're saying over which i'm so excited about yeah and and not just with amethyst but it's really hitting me how like this the weight of expectation over steven that he puts on himself in regards to rose has been just like I like almost unbearable. I can't imagine right. what it would be like for him. And that's that's like the big thing I feel like we need to really address in relation to Bismuth, apart from how just friggin' awesome Uzo Adabo was Adubo, Adubo yeah. was as Bismuth, which we can talk about later because she was amazing. Um <laughs> was the fact that Steven's not talking about Rose like his mom anymore. No. He's talking about her like some standard that he needs to live up to, like something, some gap that he needs to fill for these, these other gems. And that's really kind of disconcerting. Well, I mean, if you imagine, he's, he never got to meet her. Right. No, he, he doesn't and... know her really. Like he has like fuzzy ideas about her and everything, but like when they've explored like Rose's room or that kind of stuff. It's been about finding a connection with her. Mm-hmm. And now it's increasingly about being what she was. Yeah. Well, and there's been so much more of an emphasis on this idea that he has her gem and he is like a reincarnation of her in a way. Yeah. That's been much more heavily touched Plain. on yeah. in this this stretch. Whether it's, and mom, you know, and Mr. Greg, <laughs> or... Um, or, or this stuff that we get with Jasper, the conversations with Jasper about it, too. Um, or even Pearl saying, we don't always understand Rose, but we have to respect her choices. And that that implies, like, a daily struggle for her to accept that Rose chose to leave so that Stephen could exist. And that is something she has to, like, reprocess and redeal with every single day still. He's 14, yeah. which for them is nothing. But, yeah. you know, they're thousands of years old. But he's not. And so him hearing that i can't imagine the impact that has on a kid hearing like every single day i still have to struggle to acknowledge that you exist and i'd rather you didn't you know at least that's easily could be what he's hearing yeah not what what pearl's saying so um i mean this is where i'm like can't we just have some time travel and he can meet rose and and it'll be wonderful and then he'll deal with all of his issues and that's not how the show has worked well, ever in the past. It's not only how the show doesn't work, but also let's let's be very clear about something. Rose was on Earth for like five thousand years, and she doesn't understand the concept of babies. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think of... she would. I don't think she would understand the concept of her son time traveling the <laughs> No, that's probably true. <laughs> that's probably true. I did like the the. She's on there. Yeah, she's right. She's on the earth for five thousand years, and she was so busy with. How how did she develop the personality that we've seen in her, and the appreciation and respect for life on Earth? Before that, she had before Greg that she yeah. had to defend the Earth to choose that this is the planet she was going to defend, and not f- figure out what babies were. 
before Greg. Like, is, did Greg spark in her a, such a change that well, that she paused and slowed down and spent more time, or did she just? I like. I I wonder. Well, I mean, part of it is like I mean, even like in that Greg courtship episode, is that she still sees humans very much as like playthings, kind of. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's still coming through. Is and I mean, I'm making fun of Rose's naivete, but it's also just like it's played so earnestly that it feels like she's just dumb about certain things, which is, doesn't make any sense within the timeline of things. But also, it's just. I'm not entirely sure humans were always there when the gyms were there. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how that exactly functions. Um, Mainly because is that big field of strawberries and swords on Earth? Or is that someplace else? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I think that there is this weird disconnect between why they ended up fighting for... Why they ended up fighting Homeworld and the Diamond Hegemony. Or whatever it's called. I'm gonna, just going to keep calling it the Diamond Hegemony because I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, if they were just fighting for, as Bismuth keeps driving home, this idea of the upper crust, which is such a great, great turn of phrase for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, it's gems and diamonds yeah. and upper crust. And oh, gosh, yeah. it's so good. But also this idea of a rebellion as class, but also against, like, some sort of tyrannical rule. Maybe it just wasn't exactly so much about saving this world for for human beings, but also just establishing a world for gyms that were just sick and tired of the home world hegemony. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I like the idea that I think they've implied in the past that the the gems have been sent out to like all these different planets and all these things across and this idea that they got to earth and there was actually life there Mm -hmm. and it was intelligent life and and that was a rare thing that they decided to protect um I think that I think I like that idea more than the all these other planets they've destroyed were also peopled with intelligent life that they didn't care about destroying and nobody defended um which i think they could go either way but i feel like that's sort of what they've been hinting at um but also this idea of picking a stand and picking a place um and that just happening happen uh, that happening to be earth i think also could make sense um I i think this descent that we see in within the crystal gems is the first glimmer of it which is what we get with bismuth um is telling and also is like the the first hint at the sort of um corruption like the idea that there are different kinds of corruption and we've seen the diamonds corruption um of the mind which is what you know takes you know you have some theories about this uh the 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 green gem and turns her into a centipedal Um, but there's also just having been in these battles and in these wars has taken someone so fun and so boisterous and so outgoing and seemingly wonderful and loving as bismuth and pushed her to a point where she's ready to shatter gems. Um, and, and so I, you know, I think that that is a very, I think that's an important point to make because one that they've clearly avoided to this point. Um, and so I, I, 
I think it's a little tidally handled in this two-parter, but certainly something I'm glad that they decided to take on. What do you think? What do you, like, What was your reaction to Bismuth overall? Uh, I really, 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 really liked Bismuth overall. Um, Character or episode or both? Both. Um, well, I mean, I liked the... I didn't, I didn't like Bismuth, <laughs> <laughs> the character, but I, I really liked what you were talking about in relation to how Rose's revolution, for whatever reason, it started. Mm-hmm. Because I've I've discussed the fact that I've always been... I've mentioned how I've always felt kind of antsy about Rose's motivations, at least how they were depicted in the Garnet origin story episode. Of It felt very opportunistic. To me, anyway. Um, and maybe I just need to go back and rewatch the episode. Um... But this idea of your idea of corruption and where that ideology gets murky and where the, those lines are basically is just so really important. And it feeds back into this emphasis on Rose because she's Rose has a very clear line, obviously had a very clear line that she wasn't willing to cross. I mean, she was more than happy to slice gems in half, but retain the gem. But it's just like the breaking point was a step too far, even if it was the kind of like obvious necessary thing. But it shows that fracture because Rose as a a quartz, but also just based on how she dresses, how she's presented basically to us is obviously not someone from a lower class of gem. She's not a programmed gem. Yeah. She's not a, who do you belong to, Pearl? No one, which is such a great line delivery, but also such a great line because, I mean, it gets into this idea of Pearl's being ownership and everything. Mm-hmm. Rose is obviously not that. Yeah. Rose is very much an independent a- a- agent. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been able to really do what she's doing here. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of like this becomes where you get into situations where certain classes uh, encourage revolution but and encourage it from the lower strata, basically, to bolster them, but aren't prepared for and don't understand what that revolution actually means to that other lower class. So mm-hmm. this idea of Rose's more tempered, dare I say, incrementalism of not wanting to kill diamonds and gems mm-hmm. Um would be more in keeping with her presumed place within the gem world hierarchy compared to Bismuth's, which is very obviously intended to be very lower class, worker class, uh, the equivalent of blue collar based on the fact that she was a weaponsmith mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Well, you know what else is you're talking about this has gotten me thinking about is just the the coding and the dress of the gems. Yeah. Because Sapphire has the gown. Yeah. Sapphire is very, is like probably lower upper class. Yeah. And Rose has a gown and the diamonds have gowns in a different style, but gowns and Pearl, a servant has shorts and Ruby, a servant has shorts and Bismuth, a Smith has shorts and so, like, the, the dress, the the idea of working class versus leisure class or, you know, upper class. 
um, being presented in what they, how they are dressed, and even just like their hair, right. it's pretty big. Like like lapis lazuli is wearing a dress, but it's much. It feels more like the the handmade dress, sure, I and feel not it. not like the you know like the person who sits next to the rich person right. and like brushes their hair at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that's I hadn't thought about that, but that's. Very interesting. I know that there are some people who have trouble with some of the coding on the show because the physically larger gems have pretty much all been evil. I mean, Garnet is bigger, but that's because she's comprised of two smaller gems. So all the small gems are the good ones and all the big gems are evil or brutish in this like idea of of body shaming. Um, There are some theories about why Jasper might be redeemed to counteract that. But um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's not just a kid's show. It's just not entertainment. <laughs> yeah, it's so much. I love it. I could talk all day, but we should probably... We've been talking so long about Stephen Universe. Um, do you have any other uh, things about these episodes or things you're hoping to see in the next couple that you'd like to go over quickly? No. like I've been really good about not watching or even paying attention to like the little teasers that are like at, in between like yeah. during commercial breaks or after the end of episodes. I've been really good about not watching anything. So I've actually been, like, not letting myself watch any promotional materials for this because I just want to experience this Steven Neutron bomb because Mm -hmm. it's so much more than even, like, an atomic bomb at this point. It's just, it's been so big and long and just, it's so good. It's so good. Well, I've been torn because... We'll get, like, this month of episodes and then we won't get anything for, like, a year. (laughs) But the, I've just been, this has lingered in my head. Mm-hmm. In a way that nothing else has, yeah. like since maybe People versus O.J. Simpson, right? Um, Which I mean, to be fair, really wasn't that long ago. Really wasn't <laughs> long ago, but it feels we've watched a lot of TV since then. Yeah, but like, yeah. but you know, where just the some of the different songs, some of the different moments and performances, and the themes just keep you know going around and around in my subconscious, and then they'll just pop out in the middle of the day, uh, and and in that because there's so much that they're talking about, there's so much really powerful storytelling and important messages, especially for kids happening in, in the show right now. So, and for adults happening in like an election season, let's be really honest here. You know, there's that. (laughs) Um, But, and so that's wonderful, but it's also bad because I don't want to start thinking about theories. I don't want to have that relationship with this show. Right. And I think and I haven't really, like, thought about theories. Like, I mean, that thing that I sent you from the Tumblr with um, Bismuth talking to Pearl about yanking some captain out of her ship and Pearl giggling about being embarrassed and then the poster being like, well, that stone's green, that centipedal was green, oh shit, Pearl's kind of responsible for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then your point, which is something I had forgotten about, but I'd seen it referenced a couple other places, was the fact that Bismuth is probably the one that sliced Lapis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just based on, like, the outline of the character and everything. And it's just, like, layers upon layers of stuff happening show. (laughs) Yeah. That's inviting the kind of theorizing, but I'd much rather engage the show how we were just talking about it which is this political representation this ideological representation through uh the mise-en-scene and but also just through how the characters are increasingly talking about homeworld 
Yeah, this I want to experience the show on this level after it's aired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I want to I want to watch the episodes and then peel back the layers, not peel back the layers like Lost fan style and mm-hmm. speculate about what's going to happen next. Like I don't want to have the Harry Potter experience like between the books that I had uh like looking for clues everywhere. I don't want to do that with Steven Universe, but it's hard to shut up my stupid brain when it starts going. So um, we'll see what happens, but yeah, fingers crossed for good things for Amethyst. Yeah, soon. Poor Amethyst, she's got a cool new like chain flail, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I loved her eyes just going to like the hearts or whatever. She's like, "This yeah. is awesome." <laughs> good I did like their, I did like their weapon upgrades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah very effective, <laughs> and and a convenient way to do it too. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, we should well, talk about some other shows. Like we should. <laughs> Not that we want to. <laughs> <laughs> what wins your, your week in comedy, reality, and genre? Uh, no, it's Steven. It's <laughs> Steven again. Sorry, Great Brit- Sorry, great British Baking Show, but since we lumped you in. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I get mean, to like, lose, you get to lose the Steven Universe this week. <laughs> last week, it, like, looking was a serious, serious contender because I love right. looking so much. This week, I mean... Yeah, Bake Off, you're fun. Yeah, Wrecked, you did a good job with your finale, and I'm very glad Survivor's Remorse is back, but it's definitely, definitely Stephen. Um, now we will take a break and come back with our weekend drama. in drama we're going to talk or i should say i'll talk a little bit about the a word episode four uh we'll both talk about uh talk around mr robot a little bit uh before we move to the night of the art of war Greenleaf, the broken road and unreal espionage but first up i cut back up with the a word which is uh currently up to episode four on sundance uh it's already aired in the uk um but i, I continue to really be engaged with the show and the thing that i'm taking away from it right now is i find the the writing first the mom of the central kid to be really interesting because she's just she's really challenging is a nice way to say it she's just been kind of i and i love that the show is not trying to apologize for that or back away from that or condemn that um because it's just like this idea of the speech they get a speech therapist for the son and it's someone that she was at school with and she's like oh man this this girl was always so like irritating back at school or she always just sort of steamroll over me in class and stuff like that and we find out that no actually the mom bullied her to the point where she needed years of therapy and the mom doesn't remember this at all um and then we're seeing how the inner person how that's affecting that personality trait that is affecting the rest of of the family and her and her choices and um the and and the her unwillingness to take 
like what, what what extent of her behavior about her son is about wanting what's best for her son which is not a significant amount but how much of it is also her identity as the mother of this son and how much of it is actually about the kid and how much is of it is about no because I'm a good mother and this is what a good mother would do um, and so she's just been really difficult and and I like that the show doesn't try to soft pedal that. Um, she's very, she's a bulldog for her kid. Um, but she also, that translates into not listening to other people who also care about her kid, including her husband, including the grandfather, including the aunt. When she hears something, when someone tells her something she doesn't want to hear, she just pushes past it and ignores it and, and, and won't listen. And that can be a really great asset when she's fighting for her kid, but it also is a serious detriment when she should be listening. And so I like that the show doesn't make her some paragon. And so it's just, it's really, it's, it's I'm watching being like, I kind of hate this character, but it feels much more honest and real than someone who's like, you know, St. Christina Braverman on Parenthood. So uh, I don't know. It's really, it's been interesting. Um, I like the the way that they're building out the interpersonal dynamics of the rest of the family as well. And uh, the other characters I think aren't as as specific as her. Um, But... I, but I've been enjoying them, and I, you know I've, I've enjoyed my time with it. But uh, but yeah, that's the one that really stands out to me because, you know, I, I appreciate difficult women on television because um, we've made decades out of difficult men on television. So it's nice to see some some women, felt, you know, being allowed to be in that category as well. Does that make any sense? Yes. Okay. Well. Yeah. That's where I'm at with the A word. There got, there's two more episodes. I'll probably check in after the finale. Uh, but let's move on to Mr. Robot. Um, now, you have not seen this episode yet. Uh, this no, is... I didn't have time to get to Logic Bomb, which, meh. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I had such, I had, like, the this, this struggle was real, says the person. Uh, like, hashtag first world problems. Watching Mr. Robot this week, Noel, because I, I had, like, three episodes to catch up on it felt like and they're three. all like really long they're so long and like so i like normally you know me i can watch a season in a day i can just like you know yeah. binge like a lot but i got an episode and a half through my three episodes and it was like oh god i just i just like oh my god i don't care don't care elliot i don't care about your mind games with yourself uh i know that none of this is actually happening concrete getting poured down his throat and then having to spit it up to get back to the adderall and also can we just talk about the logistics of the fact that mr robot has a set of goons ready to jump elliot at any point that he maybe takes a pill that would affect mr robot in some way that are told to shove concrete down his own throat yeah, I just okay. Yeah, it's I don't <laughs> care at all. Like when they're doing the chess thing, like you like you had told me about it last week, and I was just like, oh, come on. Um, and I, it's so much worse when you actually have to watch it. It's so bad. Here's the thing, guys. When we know that we can't trust the narrator, and not just like unreliable narrator, what's really happening? But straight up, no, no, no. None of this actually is happening. 
um, it's all in his head and it's telling us nothing new. That just means that we di- we don't lean in. We disengage. Or at least that's what's happening with me. So when uh, there's concrete happening, I'm like, well, this isn't happening. He would be dead. So that's what I get for being invested at all in what happens. If I can't trust anything that I'm seeing, why should I be watching? But it's cool and arty because we're going to score the vomit scene with Philip Glass's opening from his Glassworks CD. Which, by the way, yes, I know that because I actually really like Philip Glass. So shut up, everyone. But <laughs> it's just, guys, you're not, you're not being, you're not telling, you're not telling me anything new. You're not presenting it in a way that's really compelling. You're just kind of looking like a wanker when you're scoring it with Philip Glass. It's just like, how pretentious but meaningful and cool can I be? Uh, Philip Glass is pretty cool with some minimalism music. Yeah, yeah, let's do that while someone's throwing up concrete. No, well, it's no. Just, <laughs> it's just like, are you, are you, are you kidding me with this right now? Because he needs to be learning anything new. They they finally get us to the point of the stalemate, and that's somewhere that they should have started the season. Uh, but apparently, it took them three extra long episodes to get there. But now that they're at the point of realizing that they can't outmaneuver each other, apparently. Maybe that means we can stop getting these scenes, which is what would be ideal to me. Because um, that was, I think that was the single biggest problem I was having, like nothing was happening in these episodes. It's a struggle between uh, between these two characters in the one character's head when we know there is not going to be any long-term impact because they want to keep both actors on the show. So now that... You know, like no plot was moving forward, no character development was moving forward. There was no psychological breakthroughs or anything happening. It was just filling time and trying to be arty. Fortunately, in this most recent episode, we focus in on the ladies a lot more um, and the other characters a lot more. So we get some answers about Craig Robinson's character, um, but more importantly, we get some really good stuff with Angela and with Darlene. Angela and Darlene get scenes together. Angela and and um, Elliot get scenes together. Um, Grace Gummer gets some significant stuff to do. They bring in B.D. Wong. Like, so much more happens in this most recent episode. It's a much, much more engaging episode. Um, but it's still, because of the, the way that this story has just slammed on the brakes in, um, in these first few episodes, I'm just completely disengaged. I, I watched an episode and a half and went, oh, God, this is... Oh, I have a Steven Universe I haven't watched yet. And so then I watched that, and then I came back and finished it. And I was going to watch the third, and this was like, no, I just can't. I can't do it today. I just, I just can't do it. So I watched it this morning instead. Um, and that one even, I got halfway through and was like, wait, <gasps> last night Steven will be about now. Um, it's just, it's just such has been such a slog. And this is from someone who loved the first season, who had a re- loved is too strong, who really liked the first season, had a very strong reaction to it, and it was certainly much more engaged but we only found out that everything that so much of this was in his head you know about a sizable way through the first season we didn't start the season knowing that and if you don't change your approach and your storytelling approach after doing such a monumental shift to your character in your world then you're doing something wrong in your storytelling yeah and i think one of the big things uh, for me as someone who's very on the colder side of lukewarm about this show and admittedly probably dug in heels as people kept telling me how good it was. This whole thing is basically just, I've watched basically three, four, 
episodes, supersized episodes that are just exposition and setting things up for a season. It's just like, no, like you were talking about like Preacher basically being kind of like 10 episodes of setup to get to like the source material, which on one level I can kind of understand because you want to like establish a universe before you really dive in for a television show. And I can kind of deal with that on some level, even though I also just don't care what Preacher did because I didn't watch it. But this is just like, guys, I didn't need four episodes of you setting up a struggle between a guy and his alternate identity. I didn't need you to do that. Like you said, it's just like, we got the stalemate with the gunplay. I didn't need an actual physical stalemate mm-hmm. <laughs> to be depicted. I know that. <laughs> yeah, and Elliot should know that too. Right, and it's just a bunch of, okay, so there's a group going after the F Society, or there's someone going after F Society. Evil Corp is doing things, and Angela's doing things with Evil Corp. It's murky for me, because I'm not like paying super close attention, but at the same time, again, don't really like the show. <laughs> and... I'm just like, why did I need four episodes of you reestablishing the groundwork for this show when you haven't actually done anything interesting? Like, you haven't really done much with the fallout of this. You've acknowledged that the follow-through was everything and that no one's followed through, which is kind of handy narratively for you because you didn't actually have to change anything. Clever, clever. And it's just... What are, what are you guys doing here? I'm still half convinced Tyrell's in Elliot's head too. Mm-hmm. That's that's where I am right now, and I couldn't. I kind of started logic bomb, but when he said, "This is how you pawn your opponent," I just went, "Oh God, no, mm-hmm. nope, nah, I, I'm I'm turning this off. I need to do some work." Yeah, and I just never got back to it in, in time for this because I was just like. Just maybe now that you're actually like in front of a computer, something's going to happen. And I'm pleased to hear that there will be more that this episode is much more lady centric, which is something I will like maybe actually make time to watch this weekend. Mm. But I'm just like Elliot's the worst thing about his own show. And that's a problem. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, to transition to our next show, I, I was actually having, you know, I was having a hard time catching up with Mr. Robot just because it was felt like such a slog. I I'm, was having a similar lack of interest in getting back to the night of because of the tonal similarities um, between the two shows. But that was one where once I got started in this week's episode, um, last week's in this week's episode, uh, I, I w- it was a much easier sweep back into the world for me. Um, And I think it's because just stuff is actively happening in the night of. So this week we get the art of war. I still am not super interested in the stuff in the prison. Oh, God, it's so bad. It's (laughs) so bad. The stuff with um, the lawyers, though, I am really enjoying. So I'm like, I'm enjoying the stuff that we're getting. I'm like so invested in in Totoro's eczema. I shouldn't be, but I am. It's it's the most... I hate saying it, but it's actually kind of the most interesting thing on the show right now. <laughs> but I, I, I like yeah. the stuff with the the deal and getting it down to twelve, and the like. I, I'm I'm starting to feel like the stretch a little bit because this is episode four of of is it six or is it eight? It's eight. It's eight, right? Yeah. So 
because they have spent they have shown no interest in actually solving the case or giving us any new information on the case that i think is is really stretching it out i don't care as much about uh uh naz's experience in jail because i feel like other shows have done that uh, as i do trying to piece together what was i feel like it was presented as a puzzle right i don't think the show cares oh, that's a problem I mean, legitimately, I don't think the show cares because I think that the system has decided that Nas has done it. Mm-hmm. So why would the show present anything else? Without getting into the defense building their case. Right, but I mean, Stone doesn't have the resources to do anything to build the case. And the pro bono lawyer agreed to do the case only because she knew that she could get a deal down and claim that she got justice for this poor downtrodden fellow. Mm-hmm. And But now when things are actually going to be difficult, she pawns it off on an associate and goes, we're going to charge you. Yeah. Well, I mean, because the family doesn't have the money to pay for yeah. it. Stone doesn't have the money to pay for it. Yeah. And the, the other law firm's not willing to do it pro bono anymore. So the only thing that can happen is the detective can be convinced by something that this guy is innocent, or at least that he should look into it further. And that's kind of what I feel like needs to happen at some point if they're going to do that. But I don't know that they right, are. But they're not, because Box is very sure that it's not. Yeah. But then why present the, the first episode as, oh, but here's this thing. Isn't this weird? Oh, yeah. and here's that thing. Oh, isn't that weird? Especially because it's not all from Nas's point of view. So, like, creepy guy with the cigarette on the win- the windshield or the, the, the window at the gas station. Nas wasn't there to see that. So if you're not building an expectation in your audience that this will be returned to later and we will understand w- w- more about what is happening, why show it in the first place? And so I feel like there's just a, a smidge of the... Rosie Larson situation of viewers expecting the killing to end with finding out who did it and being very frustrated when that didn't happen. I feel like there's like a mini extent of that happening for me with the night of right now. What do you think? Do you, like, we've talked about this before, but why, why do you think that they should, if they're not going to solve, like give us an answer, if they're not mm-hmm. going to return to these other figures, like, you know, the witnesses, creepy friend and, you know, stuff. Why do you think they include it? included it? Well, so I can't speak for the guy in the gas station and the cigarette. Um, but everything else just feels like a way to fill in gaps for the world, basically, to give it a little bit of extra lived-inness so uh-huh. that when the institutions start to basically chew up Nas and Nas's family... Um, it feels more like a confluence of events that just all worked against him Mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, this one detective type of thing. Um, and that's the only thing I can say that I feel like they're trying to do, but I'm also kind of just souring a little bit on the show. I really didn't care for this episode. It Mm -hmm. was just very dramatically flat for me. Um, in part because, again, the prison stuff is really terrible, and the dialogue in the prison stuff is really, really terrible. It's just like, here's a string of prison cliches, and we're going to explain them to you, and then we're just going to do them. 
And she's like, no, that's that's not how this dramatically works. I don't care if it's if you're engaging in verisimilitude of how Riker's functions or anything. I need you to at least do something interesting with it. And you're not doing anything interesting with it by having Nas just getting constant tutorials about prison life delivered in a way that feel like they could have come from any other prison product about some person who has never been in prison before. There's no distinction to this. There's no newness. There's no freshness. There's no sense that this belongs in this particular world from this particular perspective. And it feels really weird because everyone's so eager to discuss how institutions function and don't function, but now we're just going to explain it to you very directly but without any subtlety and it's just very weird to me and it doesn't make for an interesting arc when Nas finally decides to agree to Michael K. Williams' character's help it's just like well yeah he was always going to do this because you cast Michael K. Williams (laughs) Mm -hmm. so and yeah I'm just kind of grappling with whether or not I care about what's happening anymore so even the idea of a question of us finding out Mm-hmm. The truth, provided that the truth is that Nas didn't do this. I'm increasingly not caring, and I'm worried about how they can reasonably fill another four episodes, especially when now they have to do a trial. Yeah. And they have to fast-track a trial, and I'm not quite sure how that works narratively for me. Yeah. Well, I'm just hoping that there's more here. That there's, you know, more there there. Yeah, I, I would like more there there, because, like, we were both really keen on the premiere, and now I'm just like... yeah really feeling this show anymore and maybe it's because i'm just sullied by all the optimism and nuance from steven universe of all things yeah (laughs) i'm just not feeling this right now it really has been a summer of of summer tv of being let down by stuff that we had reason to think was going to be really exciting and very pleasantly surprised by something like Stranger Things or, uh, you know, not surprised by Steven Universe because we already knew right. it was great, but like, but you know, surprised that level. we were going to, yeah, a new level yeah. and that they were going to have this many episodes. And also just like something like Greenleaf, which we'll talk about in a second, is yeah. like this really pleasant surprise in the same vein of Stranger Things was this really pleasant surprise. Yeah, and I think that's a great time to transition over to Greenleaf. This week we had The Broken Road and I tweeted this out this week. It was like, while I'm getting less involved in Mr. Robot and The Night Of and Unreal, I'm getting more involved in Greenleaf. So I, this week I, I caught up with the whole book and uh, and the, as well as The Broken Road. And you saw... So we're like finally all caught up in the same page. <laughs> and um, there were a couple things I was underwhelmed by in this episode. Uh, most specifically, they felt the need to have uh, Gigi and Noah hook up. Yeah, um, I was like... I was very much like... I get why we're doing this so that Noah can stick around in season two. Probably, maybe we'll see how this goes. But, but yeah, it didn't feel organic at all to what the show had previously kind of established for both of these characters and how they were relating to one another. And yeah. that felt really weird. Yeah, but I am really, I really liked what the stuff that they did with Mac and with the parents. This idea yes. that upon the evidence. Uh, the dad, like the, the the video testimony, the fact that the dad immediately is on. James is very much like, yes, we need to deal with this. Yeah, well, and, and that's the entire family. And that, I mean, the the mom, Lady May, isn't, but that's also her brother. 
Yes. So and and then as soon as she talks to him, you can the performance in that scene I think is really strong. You can see the moment when yes. she realizes that she thinks he's lying. Yeah. God, it, everyone's. So, I told you everyone's so good on this show. And yeah, they are. They're so good. They're so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and watching, I like that they get that out of the way so quickly. And yes. Like, Grace has the the video testimony and like by the end of like the same episode, maybe the next episode, they I watched it back to back. So they're kind of blurring in my mind. But th- the entire family knows all the higher ups of no, the church. The same know. episode. Yeah. yeah. The same episode. And so then the, the question is going to and they're all very angry and very upset. And they all understand what this means about about faith. So this idea uh, will be the it's not going to be who's going to stand up for Mac because no one's standing up for Mac. What it's going to turn into is when this starts to spread out and impact the entirety of the church, that's where the loyalties will start to be tested. And this idea of if we expose Mac, that brings down this entire church, which does do a lot of really great things, apparently. Um, we're supposed to think that it also funds a jet, a new jet for their family and a mansion. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, I I like that they give such nuance to some of these different characters to that. The one uh, survivor, her grandmother still going to the church, despite knowing she's like, this is my church. And that, that means something. And it's so real is the thing is like, this is my church is such a real thing. Yeah. Like there are plenty of people who will keep going because it's their church even if they know things because it's their church i mean it's the thing that's tying together their community the people that they know it's such a lived-in concept and it's so nice to see it represented yeah well and this idea of well a a priest or or a pastor or someone may come in who's a problem but this idea of they will come and go but this is my church and I own it more than like I take more ownership of it and its identity than the person who this person who theoretically is in charge. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really powerful as well. So I, I know there was a lot I was really enjoying ab- ab- about these episodes. Uh, what comes to mind for you? Because I know you're you're more lukewarm on this one than I am. This episode, right? I think that a large part of what I kept getting distracted by was the fact that Charity's plotline is just a mess. Yeah. I mean, everything else, I feel like the show is doing a really nice job of handling for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but the charity plotline is just, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's finally going someplace now, but it's also just like, and I misspoke last week when I said it was a 10 episode, it's a 13 episode, so there's still time. But it's just like, um, the, the pl- A, it just got kind of got dropped a little bit. Mm-hmm. In a weird sort of way, but B, it also hasn't moved forward anywhere. So when Charity's getting really upset about Kevin just constantly being on his phone, mm-hmm. it's just like, well, we had like four scenes of you doing this, but not doing anything about it or even like talking to him about it. And now you're just really angry about it. And, and why is this different? And um, it just, it also feels just kind of tidy. It's like it, this is not something new, I don't yeah. think, right? This has been a fact of, of I me. Mean, she doesn't know that he's at least interested in men. Um, but this it doesn't seem like it's, oh, some new thing he's discovered recently. It seem, I mean, if that's what it's supposed to be, they haven't 
done a good job establishing that because to me it just it feels like no this has always been there in relationship in her relationship in their marriage but we're just supposed to think it's coming to a head now because convenience right well i mean i don't think he knew about the app until the beginning of the season okay because i think he heard about it from someone else if i'm remembering correctly uh so he didn't know about that no, no, because I think he heard about it when they were at the club and the gay guys, like, sent them drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, or something like that. Anyway, but I feel like it was a new development within their relationship. But it just hasn't been dramatized in an interesting way. And you contrast that with, like, Carissa and Jacob's, um, as you so eloquently put it uh, a week or two ago, like, their infidelity chicken stuff, is that there's some... That has been developed. So the fact that Jacob and Carissa have kind of faded away a little bit as their plotline kind of resolved with James going, I'm not going to do TV ever, period, end of story, that's it, type of thing is really, is fine. But at the same time, when they closed off that avenue for Jacob to get ahead, they open up a new avenue for Carissa and Lady May to find a way to put Jacob back into power with Mac's apparent downfall. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting because it opens up this new avenue, this new dramatic push, because it's just like, well, if Mac goes away and he's going to have to go away is, well, Grace can fill that slot or Jacob can fill that slot. And how is that going to play out? And that's really interesting. That's really exciting. Sorry, Charity, you're just not up to this task. <laughs> no. But that's really interesting. And it it shows the way in which the Charity and Kevin plot feels very much like a cul-de-sac within this much wider ranging interesting show. Yeah. Well, and I have a feeling this is something that will come to a head by the end of the season. But yeah, not sure. not before, though. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it, hopefully I'm wrong about that. Hopefully they'll they'll start getting more forward momentum in the next couple of episodes, not wait till episode 13. But this is certainly something I could see just being, again, puttering along until we get to like cliffhanger time. This feels like a kind of show that's going to have a lot of cliffhangers. Um, well, I mean, it's very much informed by soap opera and melodrama, melodrama traditions. And that's great. I mean, you just have to look at Lady May's like costuming and makeup design and just go, they're clearly modeling her after any variety of soap villains. Yeah. And it's fabulous. It's amazing. I love it. And that's where a lot of this comes from. I mean, the episode ends with James pointing a gun at uh, Max's chest, and that's such a soap thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's great. Really having a lot of fun with it. Less great not having fun with it is Unreal Espionage. So this is the penultimate episode of the season, um, and it is. I'm not going to be sad to see the season go. The trouble is, with this episode, there's some, like, we're like, oh, finally, Ro- uh, we got uh, Rachel and Quinn back together. The you know, they're going to take on Coleman and they're going to take on, you know, fill in the blank. But the trouble is that I am so uninvested in the characters, all of them. And uh, certainly the, the, the new fully emerged villain of Coleman Wasserman that I don't care. And I, I'm trying to decide exactly what it was that really took me off of the... Like, the, I think the move that most pissed me off in this episode was when they have Coleman sleep with Yael. 
because they it's not because his other things could all fit within who the character had been and what he had said and yeah he maybe he's full of shit but that's in keeping with the character when they have him sleep with yale at the end it feels like just in case you weren't sure he's the bad guy because he's cheating out not only did he bug rachel's phone without her consent consent's a big deal for her i wonder why that could be um but now he's cheating on her after reassuring her that he wasn't um and with hot rachel and with hot Rachel, yeah. So as if, like, the, oh, the reason Rachel is the way she is is because she was raped when she was 12. The, the They gave an answer to Rachel, which is really, really irritating in the previous episode. So aside from that problem, they couldn't even, like, manage to let Coleman be wrong in an interesting way. By the end of this episode, they're like, mm, let's go full on villain. Let's, like, remove any nuance. And uh, go team. I just, I'm really frustrated. Well, I mean, first of all, the big key thing that we need to talk about with Coleman is the fact that we actually knew he was going to be evil like a couple of weeks ago when he apparently just lost his fucking glasses. Like, yeah. Where the f*** did those glasses <laughs> go? He lost them and suddenly he did a face heel turn and he's just like, I don't need my glasses anymore. I'm showing my true self and mm-hmm. it's a villain? And yeah. Okay, show, sure. Um... No, it's just, it's such a mess. It's such a mess. Um, For me, the big thing is that we got this answer to Rachel, which you've said is, like, not great. And I'm I'm fine with saying it's not great. My problem with it is, is that we got it at the expense of Romeo. Mm-hmm. And we clearly don't care about this yeah. at all. At all. It's just, it's just like, okay, um, we're going to shoot a black guy so Rachel can go down her psychotic spiral of responsibility and hurt and pain and i'd much rather see this spiral happen in some other way Mm -hmm. and in a way that the show can do respect to all parties involved and instead it's just like okay we're gonna have these two white people end up for more or less staging a shooting and so we can learn more about our white character Thumbs up, show. You know how we should engage with Black Lives Matter? We should use it as a plot point so that we can watch more white people problems. I mean, are you... Who thought this was a good idea? Who was like, I know, we'll have Rachel go on and on about the importance of discussions of race all season long. We'll barely start to in, to deal with We're it not in regards barely. to barely no they're with not. Ruby and no but with Ruby and 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 Darius they're like hint at like addressing some of these and then as soon then we'll use Black Lives Matter to have a get, get a black guy shot by a cop and not check in on here even like more than a mention of this guy who's been shot uh but then we'll feel like the need like we need to go back and address the race thing again with Darius after this without mentioning it's just like it's horribly constructed it's a terrible idea and the other thing and they acknowledge it within this episode but it doesn't still doesn't make it okay in the fact that Quinn is very much like making Yael just shit herself on TV is the worst thing we've ever done. And just, and Rachel is very much like, well, no, that, that, that really is not the worst thing we've ever done. We've driven a woman to kill herself and I got a black guy shot. 
And it's Quinn's not the just... worst thing they've done this season. No. The the oh you're lying about your abusive family yes. is way worse than this. And it's all just like, where's the barometer for any of this exactly happening? And this is where their approach at a microcosm is really limiting because of the fact that we don't really get a sense again the show keeps insisting to us that unreal is being aired a week after they shoot it which is just just ridiculous Mm -hmm. but it's just like quinn just went oh i made all that shooting stuff just go away because i have a lot of money (laughs) no no it's just like Someone didn't see Darius wandering around and go, why is the guy who's currently in that Bachelor show not at the Bachelor mansion? Yeah. Why is this not a thing? And the limits of their microcosm, the limits of their very circ- their insular world are making it very difficult when they keep trying to drag the outside world into it, like with Black Lives Matter or this kind of larger racial societal discussion. But then they can't figure out a way to mobilize any of those discussions within the confines of the microcosm. And that's a problem when you want to engage the larger world through a show about a reality show. I think it, you need look no further than what they've been doing with their their, their approach to a conversation about race and what they've been doing with Rachel versus what they've been doing with Quinn to see where the show should be because the stuff that they've been doing with Quinn I think has actually been really great the stuff that she gets in this episode with I wanted a choice and whether or not I was gonna have I didn't want kids but I wanted to be able to choose to not have kids for me that was really powerful and that seems like the kind of thing that they and first of all you give that to Constance Zimmer she's gonna hit it out of the park every time but I think that the way that they've developed and paid off that arc and her sending the guy away and everything because she can't really deal with that um has been really well done but it, then you look at what they're doing with, with Quinn, with, with Rachel, and you're that's just so horribly managed. Like, there's stuff that the show can apparently handle well and and, and with, is within its wheelhouse and it understands the, the emotions behind and the character behind and and how, you know, like, there are topics that it can understand. And one of those topics is screwed up parental and children dynamics. And I think on the whole, for the most part, they've done a good job with that on the show. Uh, and then there's everything they're doing with Rachel and everything they're doing with Black Lives Matter and everything they're doing with, with Darius. And that's all horrible. I mean, I felt like with stuff with that we got with Quinn here, I felt like that was much more the strong parts of season one. And the stuff we got with everything else here really for me wasn't. Um, so I was making a lot of faces when you said... You were making <laughs> so many faces. <laughs> Listeners, you have no idea. It was really funny. <laughs> um, is that... I totally disagree with the Quinn stuff that you just said. Okay. Um, not the constant Zimmer aspect of it, because the fact of the matter is, is like Zimmer is the only reason that it's even remotely working because she's so good. And the delivery of, I wanted a choice and how she represents this very specific type of idea and this very specific impulse for, this character is so good 
and it's saving grace. My problem with it is, is that this has basically been like four weeks. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's the same issue with the time frame of, of the shooting and everything. Just... It's just like four weeks. We're going to do this in four weeks. If you had started this in like episode two, I'd be behind you 100%. Okay. But the fact that this is basically four weeks, I am not willing to buy into any of this. It's really well acted, and it's the only saving grace it has going for it. But from a narrative and, like, plotting standpoint, no. I, okay. I, this is just something that's happening way too quickly. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Constance Simmer is, like, the only thing that's, like, holding this together in her hands. Like, her nails are dug into this plotline <laughs> to make sure that it works. <laughs> and she's doing that, but just... It's all in the acting and none of it's in the writing. And I hate when that happens Yeah. because it's just, it shows you how good the actor is and just, it's a juxtaposition. The actor is so good that the bad writing isn't affecting her, mm. but it just makes the bad writing really, really apparent. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and it also is very possible that I'm responding to just how bad everything else is. Right. You know? Whereas I'm digging in to find more bad things. <laughs> and you're just like, no, wait, there's this one good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. Do you have any other thoughts about, about this? I mean, do you think the last episode at least can be satisfying on a purely watch these two characters be awesome together level? Or is that so cheap at this point? So unearned? It's so cheap and unearned at this point that I just, I don't care about Coleman getting a comeuppance. I don't, I Chet's not going to get a comeuppance because Chet's barely existed since like episode four. Oh well no Chet's full on redemption arc right now he's like being all cutesy with uh, Tiffany we're supposed to be right. rooting for them yeah no like the character who willfully acknowledges that she has daddy issues no I am not I am not buying into any sort of redemption arc for this because mm-hmm. Chet's taking advantage of a woman who has daddy issues to get what he wants yeah. Well, and are we supposed to like Chantal now? I don't know. Because I don't feel like she is any character at well, all. To She's be been fair. so defined by being, I'm classy. No, you are underwritten. Yeah, no, like all of the contestants, even Yael, who's had like the clearest like sense of any of the characters, really, mm-hmm. of the, any of the contestants, is still basically just been really underdeveloped because of the fact that we knew she was up to something we just didn't know what and now that we know what she's up to it's just like well now she can't publish it because the producers got the best of her i guess or she can publish it and just use that antidote to demonstrate this is just the base of what they've done they've Mm -hmm. done so much worse well and we're also supposed to believe that rachel like handpicked all these contestants and missed the fact that she's a journalist? Right. I mean, that was the other thing was, it's just like, I am fully willing to buy that a private prison does not care when a Mother Jones reporter applies for a job and does this massive expose on private prisons, which, by the way, is a terrific article. You should go read it. But I buy that before I buy the idea of Rachel not doing a thorough vetting of her contestants. Because we saw her vetting some (laughs) of the other ones. Right. So it's just like, how did you miss that? Yeah. Well, we uh, have thoughts, listeners, clearly on Unreal. But I feel like we're going to just start spiraling into repetition here. So I, I'm going to, this is called, what wins your week in drama? 
I didn't get to watch my Independent Lens episode that recorded this week. Um, so, um, Greenleaf, I guess by default, since I didn't really like anything else that we discussed this week. And mm-hmm. um, the women's world soccer, the women's Olympic soccer match really wasn't that much of a nail biter. So there wasn't a lot of drama there. Um, so yeah, I'll give it to Greenleaf uh, this week. Uh, what about you? What won your week in drama? Uh, I think I'll give it to, uh, I think I... I think I'll give it to Greenleaf as well, just because the stuff with Mac was really powerful. Um, though I did enjoy parts of Mr. Robot, and um, I am enjoying most, for the most part, uh, the A word. But yeah, I, I'll also give it to Greenleaf. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post up for this episode at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave a comment there. Let us know what you thought of the week's TV. Let me know how wrong I got Preacher, the comic, because uh, <laughs> I'm sure I got it very wrong. Um, you can also. Email theteleverse at gmail.com if you want a more private way to tell me how I got Preacher wrong. You can uh, find us on Facebook, like the page, and start up a conversation there. You can also find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, as well as you can find us over in Stitcher. And uh, you can rate and review us both on iTunes and Stitcher. We would appreciate it. It does help other people find the show. Um, Also, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Um, and you can, uh, you know, chat with us there. We got plenty of, uh, TV coming up these next few weeks. And certainly will you be live, live tweeting various Olympic extravaganzas? Um, I mean, um, I'm on the, I'm on the West coast. So NBC and its infinite wisdom is basically just like, oh, right. West coast four hour delay for you. Oh, so basically if it's not on a cable channel, it's not live for me. Hmm. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be tweeting about the women's Olympic team, which is probably the only thing I'll be watching. Um, women's soccer, Olympic, Olympic soccer team, uh, who won their first game. And it was a very, it was a very kind of okay game. But that'll be the only live tweeting that you'll be getting from me because it's just like, uh, opening ceremonies are never my thing. Okay. What about you? Are you going to be live tweeting some stuff? Are you like into the Olympics? Ah, uh, it depends. Um, it yeah. depends on my schedule. I'm more likely to be watching stuff just because of the time of year it is. But as we get into the end of August, uh, I start my fall like school starts up, and I start yeah. teaching at night after school for my all my 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 violin studio. So that means that I can't watch anything when people are watching them. <laughs> so uh, yeah. that will mean no. Uh, so okay. we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes for the next couple of weeks, though, until we get to that. Um, certainly everyone can hit us up on Twitter to talk about uh, Steven Universe. And you can also hit us up on Twitter to talk about our DVD shelf segment here uh, with friend of the show, John Clark from Caffeinated Comics, talking about Pinky and the Brain. The Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. So we'll take a break and come back with John to talk about that. And uh, yeah, just get some, some delightful theme music stuck in our head. So... We'll be right back after this. Are you pondering what I'm pondering? I think so, Brain. But where are we going to find a duck and a hose at this hour? Oh, I think so, Brain, but balancing a family and a career? Oh, it's all too much for me. Oh, I think so, Brain, but isn't Regis Philbin already married? I think so, Brain, but Burlap chafes me so. Sure, Brain, but how are we going to find chaps our size? I think so, Brain. But we'll never get a monkey to use dental floss. I think so, Brain. But this time you wear the tutu. Gee, Brain, what do you want to do tonight? 
The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. In laboratory mice, the genes has been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world, the pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Arf! We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Calls of Twins, everybody, Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, uh, we're channeling my childhood in a delightful way. I'm very excited. And helping us uh, this week back from on the DVD shelf, back to the DVD shelf, I should say, uh, from Caffeinated Comics, it's John Clark. John, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. How are you? Uh, well, I'm excited because we're talking about Pinky and the Brain. And yes. we have previously talked about Freakazoid on the DVD shelf. We have not yet talked about Animaniacs. When we do, I will be in um, delightful, you know, Kate's childhood nirvana. But I also have a very big place in my heart for Pinky and the Brain. So I was very excited when you reached out and said, hey, let's do Pinky and the Brain because yay. <laughs> yeah, I thought for a minute maybe we should do Animaniacs because they came from Animaniacs. And then I was like, no, I only want to talk about Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> no, what makes you want to talk about? Is it just these characters? Is it the show? It's everything about it. It's one of my favorite shows. It was one of my favorite shows when it aired. And I was a, I was in college when Animaniacs first came on. And the first thing I ever saw of Animaniacs was the first Pinky and the Brain short. And I thought it was the most brilliant thing I had ever seen in my life. And I just waited. I loved Animaniacs. I loved the Warner Brothers. But I waited every episode for Pinky and the Brain to to come around and happen. And every time it happened, it we, I thought it was amazing. And and whenever they would do songs on the show, I would learn the songs and do <laughs> recordings of it. Um, and that so when the when they got their own show, I was like, well, this is just like it. It was like all of the cream in an Oreo cookie, just as a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because the these are two very distinct and strong characters and if you look at the various sections of animaniacs this is these are the two that can be lifted off and made their own show like i love good idea bad idea that is not its own show no they uh, we've been watching animaniacs i actually i got back into it because animaniacs is now on netflix and my sons are starting to watch it and they're loving it. And they got really excited about Pinky and the Brain. So I pulled the Pinky and the Brain DVD shelves uh, off my shelf. And I was like, well, we can watch just Pinky and the Brain now. And as we're watching them again, I'm realizing they age so well that there's a lot of 90s jokes in there. You know, there'll be like jokes about Ken the Star that, <laughs> that I don't need to describe to my sons. Uh, I did have a discussion about who Yoko Ono was. <laughs> because in the Beatle episode, my son right. knew who the Beatles were, but he was like, why is that woman screaming? <laughs> but but for the most part, it's the humor is held up so well. My younger son, who's not even three, can sing the entire theme song. So it's it still resonates. It's not it's not uh, a nostalgic uh, trip from the past. It still has a lot of vitality to it. And it just reminded me of how much I loved it when it was on and why I bought the DVDs the week they came out and why I'll never get rid of them. It's just such a fun 
energetic show and the, the the again i just go back to the the voice of those two characters and that's down to the voice actors as well but the the personality of them is so clear and distinct that you can really do pretty much anything with them cuz you can pop them into any situation just as a thought experiment and you know how both characters will respond and there's such strong flavors and such you know opposite forces that you're going to be able to do that buddy comedy thing with pretty much any macguffin instigator um so yeah I, the, there's so much to love about pinky and the brain um and we'll get into a lot of that but before i just start rambling here noel uh, did you watch pinky and the brain when it was on I did. Uh, I went, while I was rewatching the show for this, I realized quite early on that Pinky and the Brain was what primed me to be massively in love with Orson Welles at the end of high school and the beginning of college <laughs> without having known, like, in the back, I think it, like, subliminally prepared me to love, like, Citizen Kane and The Third Man and just basically everything Wells did without knowing that Pinky and the Brain had prepared me for that. Like, I didn't make the connection, really, until I was, like, marathoning the show to prepare for this and just went, oh, oh, this is where this came from. It all makes sense now. Um, but that, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I can very much recall, like, stealing Brain's put-downs to uh, be mean to people in uh, middle school and high school. Um, and yeah, I just, I really enjoyed the show. Um, Animaniacs was, um, something I had never actually seen before. So I watched, uh, Pinky and the Brain, like, independent of Animaniacs. Um, I just knew it was from, like, Warner Brothers and from the same folks who had done, like, Tiny Toons. Or just from the same studio that had done Tiny Toons, which I loved. Uh, so, yeah, and... John, I was really glad that you mentioned like watching this with your sons because my big question watching this, especially towards like the middle of like season three, I was just like, there's a lot of 90s references in this. There's a lot. And while all the Hillary jokes have kind of come back around, which says more about us than about the show, um, I just I was wondering if I put a ten had a 10 year old watch this how they would respond to a lot of this since for me a lot of this a lot of their cult, pop culture humor is very specific to the 90s i mean there's like four g gordon lady jokes in season one <laughs> and i just went who's gonna get that who even in my age group is going to get that i mean i get it just because i was a particularly well-read middle schooler <laughs> But I was just like, G. Gordon Liddy jokes kind of above above the brow for a lot of folks. And I can't imagine it would have a lot of staying power even for a 30-year-old. So I was, I was really happy to hear that your uh, kids were responding to the show beyond just the 90s cultural references, which I think is the other big thing that the show does really well is that a lot of their situations still work without that 90s knowledge and even if they're hyper specific in like the infomercial episode which is amazingly good and spot on uh i feel like it all still works really really well yeah it it's was designed to be like the warner brothers cartoons where when yeah. you watch the old looney tunes there's a lot of like humphrey bogart references but they just skate by and it was also this was like one of the the shockwave ripples of the impact of the simpsons because yeah. when The Simpsons hit, there was this great feeling in animation of, hey, we can, we can write smarter. We can do more things. And Warner Brothers took that to heart 
and really pushed it out, pushed kids animation out where it had been in the 80s, which was pretty, which was Smurfs, basically. And they started writing in all these layers that you didn't need to get. And, you know, and my kids are the type where uh, they they love a lot of the adult animation as much as I'll let them watch. So they love The Simpsons and Futurama and Bob's Burgers. And they don't get every joke and they don't have to. And, and, you know, not only is there a lot of 90s references in it, but there's a lot of 60s references in it. There's a lot of 40s references in it. I I was just watching an episode that was a complete parody of like the Sean Connery Bonds. They leaned so heavily into the Orson Welles. They did a full, uh, full adaptation of the third man. Right. Yeah. They did the the shadow, his radio version of the shadow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was waiting for a Susan Cain one, but then I remember that Tiny Toons already did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good times. Well, and I think that it's so easy when we're watching shows that, that are older um, or that we, that more specifically that, that we watched as kids, if you were going back to them, it's so easy to, for us to see all of the, the, the jokes that somebody unfamiliar with the time period isn't going to get. But I think a lot of the times, like you'd said, John, they don't know that 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 they're not getting a joke. They don't know that they're not getting a reference. Just like when you watch those old timey, um, <laughs> old timey is a, is a, that's a specific time reference. But um, those old classic Warner Brothers cartoons, if you don't know that that's Peter Lorre, it's just the funny looking guy with the weird voice, which is still silly and fun. If you know that they're being, you know, Peter Lorre or uh, d- uh, or. Robinson, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Are you thinking of Edward G. Robinson? Edward G. Robinson, yeah. yeah. Uh, then if they don't know yeah, Edward G. See? Robinson, they just know, yeah, they know, they know it's the A, yeah, C guy. Um, I was so, thinking of Jackie Robinson. Oh, well, that, that, that was wrong. That Robinson as well, <laughs> you know. Um, but, but I think it's, um, you know, for something like Pinky the Brain, it is so dense and they do have so many layers to their humor. There's, there's plenty of humor for the kids, but there's also so much that's that's for the adults. I mean, just I was watching Pinky the Brain, but also I watched Pinky Elmira in the Brain, which is, I guess, a spinoff. It's, it's well, that's what killed it. That's the final season. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, but yeah. they have a joke about Elmira has seen Titanic about 100 times. And so she's making them do Titanic and basically drowning them in the tub. And then and then Brain says, it's a good thing she hasn't seen a Clockwork Orange. No kid is going to get that, but it's very funny to me. Um, so I think they do a really good job, and this is true in pretty much all of the Spielberg animation of this time, because, of course, he was one of the uh, crea- uh, creators or the producing forces. He wasn't the creator, but he's a producing uh, force in, in Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs and Freakazoid and a bunch of shows at this time. Um, that really does call back to that, um, the the layers of the, the classic Warner Brothers cartoons, and um, really, I think, is what makes something like Pinky and the Brain still so uh, so enduring and so effective now. Yeah, well, I mean, you go down to the voices, as we said, you know, Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche are both brilliant in this, and they've worked nonstop ever since. But just what just the obscure references they brought to those voices, uh, that it was completely their idea, Maurice LaMarche, to do an Orson Welles impression for this character – which with like a hint of Vincent Price. Yeah, with a hint of Vincent Price, a little just it's a, just a little nasal and animated. Yeah. And I remember the first time I saw that Pinky in the Brain, and I'm probably 19, and I'm watching it. I'm like, well, this is this premise is really brilliant. Wait, is that guy doing Orson Welles? And then I loved it twice as much. And then I realized the other guy is doing like the old women from Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> 
And they just bring both those styles to it. And once the writers realized what they were doing, they just leaned into that. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's just, it's it's a premise that is not going to get old. Uh, they, the megalomaniac lab mouse and his goofy partner. That's just not, I mean, that's that's uh, that's Frankenstein, right? And Igor. That's yeah. like, it's it's a, Laurel and Hardy. Well, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, when you make them mice and have them trying to conquer the world, that allows you, you to have increasingly absurd situations that, of course, they take incredibly seriously. And with those elements, comedy. Yeah, they, the thing that makes me cry every single time they did it is Brain passing himself off as a human being. And it always works. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he's just angry and frustrated, but he's trying to be polite. And I go to people and I was like, hello, buddy. I'm Mr. Perkins, and he's like a mouse head in a robot suit, or he's just six inches high, mm-hmm. and, and they yeah. usually just buy it, and and they don't even keep their cover for long. Every time they go, somebody's like, well, are you a football fan? No, I'm a lab mouse who wants to take over the world. Right, and not only that, but they mine a lot of that for humor. Like, there's that one episode where he applies to work at, gosh, an insurance agency, and there's all these HR jokes about... Send everyone home, Carol. I've got a minority. Because they assume that they assume that my ears are the right size for my people. Right, your people, which are... And there's just all this sort of, like, PC culture type of joke that was, like, super big and circulating a lot in 90s comedy in a very different way from how we're treating it now. And it just... It was really, I was kind of surprised by, like, the, even these, they even had, like, a um, workplace conduct joke about, oh, don't sexually harass anyone. And Brain's response is, I try to stay away from people as much as possible. And his human HR guy just laughs and goes, me too, buddy. And it's just like, guys, how are we getting away with any of this? (laughs) You know, as I was doing some research on it, the WB, once they made it its own show, they really wanted to be their Simpsons because they were just building the network at that point. And right. so they so they brought the humor up to an even more adult level. Unfortunately, they put it on against 60 Minutes and it didn't work and they eventually just moved it back to Saturday mornings. But they were, they were trying to be the WB version of The Simpsons as much as possible. And it paid off in a great way. It could never quite get there because it the premise was just too goofy and fantastic to get an adult audience. But that's one of the things I love about it is that it has that sweetness and that cartooniness and that Looney Tunes-ness to it uh, juxtaposed with this like sometimes dark, sometimes Python-esque, very smart type of humor. And there's just such a nice balance because once, once Pinky and the Brain is over, you get the era of real adult animation. You get South Park. You get Adult Swim. And those leave that sweetness and that goofiness behind. And it's something I kind of miss. And every time every time I watch, like, the way Pinky laughs in Glee, that's not something we see anymore. I would uh, po- postulate that actually we do, and we see it with the show you've already referenced. That's Louise on Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Yeah, but, the, but Bob's Burgers is still more down to earth. Oh, like yeah. Bob- Bogburgers are not going to go to the Roman Empire. <laughs> though it, it, it would be it, fun it, if they though did. Louise would be so happy if they did. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the elastic nature of Pink in the Brain that I love. It, as I was watching the series, they took a lot of pains to like flesh out their world and like, oh, here's the origin. Here's how they were experimented on. Here's uh, a hamster played by Rada McDowell, who's their arch nemesis. Here's here's each set of their parents. 
and they start to flesh out that world, but then they still go, well, here's them as the Maharishi 40 years ago meeting the Beatles. Like they, or they could just the throw French it over their shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And then with no explanation. And that comes from Animaniacs of, yeah. you know, Yakko, Wacko and Dot just like meeting Van Gogh. But, but the fact that they would create this world around them and then just toss it over their shoulder whenever they felt like it, it had this freedom to it because the characters were still so consistent. Yeah. Well, and there is still that, always that connection between the two of them as well because you never doubt that for a moment, which is what lets it be that blend of ridiculous and heightened and also sweet. Um, and I think it's something like the, um, the Halloween episode where Brain... Uh, or Pinky sells his soul so that Brain can have the world, and then Brain has to go into to to hell, which is at the DMV, of course, um, to to go get win win Pinky's soul back because he needs to know where the food pellets are. That's why. That's that's the reason. Um, you never doubt the 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 bond of the two characters, even as you know Brain is constantly belittling Pinky. It's a bit of an abusive codependent relationship, but an uh, endearing one nonetheless. Yeah, and some of my favorite episodes focus on their relationship. The Megalomaniacs Anonymous, where Brain realizes he's he's addicted to trying to take over the world and goes to, and they do a lot of 90s self-help jokes. And he ends up like knitting sweaters and trying to make a house for Pinky so he can live on his own. <laughs> or uh that smarts where where he Brain decides the reason that their plans aren't working is that Pinky's too stupid. So Brain makes Pinky smarter than him. And then that throws their entire friendship out of balance. So uh, Brain makes himself stupid. And then Pinky's, Pinky feels bad because their relationship isn't what it used to be. Pinky also makes himself stupid. And now they're both stupid. And then Pinky says, well, why don't we just turn the machine back on? And Brain goes, no, we're too stupid to run the machine now. <laughs> and then it ends with, uh, what are we going to do tonight? I don't know. <laughs> and it, it just the, the episodes where they play with the the character's relationship to me are so much better than when they do a parody of an Orson Welles film or when they, yeah. you know, go into outer space. No, I'd agree with that. Um, if only because sometimes their parody episodes run. It feels like they run too long sometimes. Or they don't have quite enough jokes to keep it running. Like, I mean, that third man riff is looks great but it also just it's not it just runs for me it runs really long and i wasn't able to like fully engage it as much as i wanted to um in part i think just because it was such a broad parody as opposed to a really directly specific and i like when they would get really specific with their parody stuff right yeah and the third man is one of my favorite films but i agree there's just not quite enough jokes to fill out 20 minutes in that yeah Another element I've got to mention, uh, this is also true of Animaniacs. I love the music. They have <laughs> real players. They have a real orchestra, and you can all absolutely that, feel it. All that Tiny Toons money, man. All that Tiny Toons and <laughs> Batman <laughs> money. Yeah, it was Warner Brothers where they just they just had their own orchestra to do film yeah. scores, and they were like, well, we're putting these guys on salary. Just put them on everything. And you're, yeah. and you're right. That's the same orchestra that plays on Batman the Animated Series, which is absolutely beautiful and yeah. you know and sadly once they once the kids wb kind of shuttered their animation department and the properties moved over to cartoon network we started to get more and more synthesized stuff and and you're right it just adds such texture you know in the same way that the hand-painted cells add a lot of texture 
Yeah. When they're running up a thing and you hear and they go but having it be an actual person holding the mallets it's not about this notion of well if if it's made by a person it's better than if it's made by a machine it's that you can't capture the sound in the same way if you don't have an actual person playing an instrument we do not yet have the technology to give the sound the same weight and roundness to to and depth to the tone quality with with computers that you get with a live orchestra so watching i mean Oof. I did a, a project in college about cartoon music and the progression over time. And I will give so much credit to Animaniacs and Pinky the Brain uh, and also uh, to Family Guy, which used a live orchestra too. Like the you, in the 90s and then, you know, later with Family Guy, you get a real embrace and love for live music. And for me, at least, it makes a huge difference. And if you're not sure, go back and watch some like uh, some Scooby-Doo or some uh, some of the other uh, animated shows from from like the 80s and, and earlier. And you will hear big difference in the sound. So, uh, of course, I had to mention that. Do you guys have any favorite episodes or favorite recurring characters we have not yet mentioned? There's two I really, really need to talk about. <laughs> Uh, because I, I think they're just incredibly genius. The the best episode, one is an Animaniacs episode, but I think we need to talk about it. But the best episode um, of the series is Pinky and the Brain and Larry. Yes. We need and, to talk about that uh, and pivot that into a discussion of Pinky, Elmira, and the Brain. Yeah, well, and that's where it came from was the executives say, we, we need a third character and their response was, "This is what it would be if we would ha- if we had a third character." And if you haven't seen that, um, my son's favorite thing is they change the theme song yep. when yes. they sing "Pink in the Brain." It's just and Larry. Larry. And Larry. <laughs> Hi, Larry. Yeah, my and my son's memorized every joke in that. Where there's the lyrics before, uh, before the sun is, is shown. And he goes, "Larry likes the sun." <laughs> and it's Billy West doing Larry Fine, which is the same voice he did for Stimpy, and and they designed him to look like Larry, and he just interjecting in between every joke. He's just going, "Hello, I'm Larry," <laughs> and, and ruining every joke. And then the entire episode turns into the Three Stooges, and they're. And that was the writers basically going, this won't work. It will turn it into something else. Unfortunately, the, the executives didn't listen. And a couple of years later, they forced Pinky Elmire in the brain. And it was, it was kind of the decisions that WB at the time, it was also what gave us Batman Beyond, was WB had told Bruce Tim, we want Batman to be a teenager. We want him to scoot younger. And it was Bruce Tim that said, well, the only way we could do it if this Batman's in the future and it's another kid and Bruce Wayne's old and, hey, I like this idea, let's do it. So that was a success, whereas Pinky and Elmira and the Brain was, let's do what they want and it'll bomb. I didn't even know that it existed. And I say that as someone who, before you had even mentioned uh, this, John, I could have sung the Pinky and the Brain and Larry, <laughs> like opening. <laughs> That's how the affinity I have for Pinky and the Brain growing up. Um, uh, 
I, I didn't even know it existed. And then, Noel, you mentioned it to me. I was like, wait, what? what? Did yeah. they not watch Pinky and the Brain and Larry? Because that points out quite elegantly why this is a terrible, terrible idea. And I watched a bunch of episodes of Pinky and Larry and the Brain, and it it works better than it by any rights should, just because having Brain have to deal with Elmira while being powerless to actually stop her from doing anything to him that you can get a lot of mileage out of that. Fair enough. But it's just the whole dynamic doesn't work in forcing in Elmira every time. It just removes the ability to just jump to any time period and any, you know, it, it really limits the scope of the show in a very foreseeable way. I don't get it. Um, Noel, do you have any thoughts on Pinky Elmira in the brain? I didn't get to watch any of it. Like, I didn't carve out time to watch any of it because I ended up watching pretty much almost the entire series of Pinky and the Brain to prep for this. Good. That's, a, just, that's a good call. That like Because the right. regular Pinky and the Brain is just, it's just better. I mean, I skipped through, like, a large chunk of season three because season three is so long. Um, it's not like Adventure Time season five long, but it's long. And I, I just started like hopping through basement episode descriptions, but I watched just basically everything and then went to the public library that has Pinky Elmira and the brain and went, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Kate can talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's on Amazon now for $15 and I never bought it. And as I've been watching these, I was like, well, do I want to finish it off just the collector nature in me? And it's sitting on my wish list. Uh, my memories are from watching it when it aired and just, and just being so disappointed because it was my favorite show and they just gutted it. Yeah. Um, that concludes our discussion of Elmira and, and Pinky <laughs> Elmira and the Brain. I just felt like that was a natural transition from Pinky the Brain and Larry. Pinky the Brain and Larry. Um, but, John, what was your other point that you wanted to mention? Uh, the other episode I wanted to mention is Yes Always, which is in Animaniacs. And um, uh, it has such a personal involvement for me. I, I literally some days just pull up the YouTube clip and cry to it. Because this the story is Maurice LaMarche started doing Orson Welles because he had heard this tape of Orson Welles yelling at um, J. J. Walter Thompson, the agency that had hired him to do voiceover commercials for frozen food. So uh, he was doing these commercials for frozen peas and he was just berating them for how poor the copy was. And Maurice LaMarche got God, this I tape. I love Orson Welles. <laughs> it's, 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 it's beautiful. And I've been yeah. in advertising... Uh, I've been in advertising as a living for about 15 years. So anytime I get really frustrated with a client or I'm forced to rewrite copy over and over again, I pull out this tape of just Orson Welles going, we know a little farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. <laughs> Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? <laughs> and and, and um, so Maurice would do this as his warm-up for voiceover sessions. So in the final season of Animaniacs, they just let him do it. So there's an episode of Animaniacs called Yes Always, where the brain comes in to record ADR for Pinky and the Brain. And it's word for word, this bootleg tape of Orson Welles with, with Pinky actually doing all of the words that the guy in the control booth said to Orson Welles. And it's, it, it's symphonic <laughs> in, in, in its beauty. And uh, you can find both of them. If you just put Orson Welles' Frozen Peas into YouTube, you can hear the original tape. But then if you watch Yes Always, it just shows how much Maurice LaMarche mastered that this thing, which is, you know, not scripted, never released, just kind of a bootleg tape that ran around. And it just showed their dedication to the pure detail of what that show was. Ready to go, Brain? Yes. 
Okay, we're going to run the picture and you read the copy. Animaniacs 406-859, take one. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Uh, yeah, but if you could start a half second later. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? I think it's so nice that you see a snow-covered field and say every July peas grow there. Um... We're talking about them growing and she's picked them. Well, we want to be out of that snowy field. But I was out. We were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas when I said in July. Oh, sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. Y you are? Yes. Um, can you emphasize a bit in, in July? Why, that doesn't make any sense. Sorry. There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence within and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll make cheese for you. That's just idiotic if you'll forgive my saying so. That's just stupid. In July. Impossible. Meaningless. I was just thinking that... You aren't thinking. Yeah, in fact, um, a lot of the same... Maurice LaMarche was also on The Critic and he did the Orson Welles frozen peas on the critic as Orson right. Welles. It's a bit that's, that he's so good at. Maurice Marsh is so good at. He's done it twice on two different shows, and I love it every time. Yeah, there's footage uh, of him doing it at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, pretty much every panel he's ever been on, someone has asked him to do it. <laughs> and he'll do all five minutes, and Rob Paulson knows it so well that Rob Paulson will play the part of the guy in the control booth. <laughs> Noel, did you have any uh, other characters or bits you wanted to mention? Um, as, as I was going through stuff, because um, they don't actually don't have that many recurring characters. I mean, like the female mouse who's Bunny, or I can't remember her name. Billy. Um, Billy. Yes, Billy. Uh, only shows up like three times. But I like that they keep pretending like she showed up way more than that. Um, but it's like only like three or four times within the span of the entire show. Um... Uh, while I was going through, I really enjoyed Cinebrania, where they uh, do basically they do Laurel and Hardy, and then Brain decides to be a serious actor, and everyone's really bored, and it's horrible, and they mimic the Citizen Kane title card for his movie, and no one's watching it. But then Walt Disney gets the idea for a mouse because he's in the audience, <laughs> um, and that's just really cute. Um, but then. I remembered one episode really specifically from like way back, even before like I started rewatching this, like it was imprinted in my brain and it was Pinky Suavo. Oh yeah. We just watched that. My son sang Pinky Suavo for like a week. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, but I, had no. to, I had to actually explain who Gerardo was after that episode. Right. Oh gosh. So, no, like, I remember, like, Pinky Suavo, I feel like, ran, like, constantly, like, in the morning syndication run for some reason. So it was just imprinted in my brain. So when we got to, when I got to it, I just went, this episode's still really funny. And I was still, like, Suavo. And it was just like, it's great. So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed watching Pinky Suavo again. Uh, Kate, what about you? What, stood, what, what did you, like, revisit and get back? Well, I feel like the one element we haven't really mentioned that we need to mention is are you pondering what I'm pondering? Um, and just the the beautiful deadpan of Rob Paulson every single time, just every time. 
they just nail it. It's wonderful. And I just, it should get old, but for me, it never does. Yeah, that was actually, they said, uh, they wrote it into the first script just as a joke. And then the producer said, oh, well, we'll do the, are you pondering as I'm pondering? And then we'll, we'll, there were all these catchphrases that were just in that script. And the writer went, no, these aren't catchphrases. These are just jokes. And they're like, no, these are good enough to do every single time. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the, like they have the, cause there's those elements of the show and what are we going to do tonight? You know, try to take over the world is the, the one of it. Uh, one of the, the big ones. But, and the other one for me is are you pondering when I'm pondering and just the creativity of the writers and the delivery of the actors for those every time. It just gets me every time. I just love it. It's, it was a lot of fun revisiting this show. And there's that episode that's from Pinky's perspective that walks you through the process where he gets to, the pond his answer to the pondering question because he's just t- tuned out brains explanation for what they're going to do and then he tunes back in and it's just like but how would the hippo get into the pants and he's been imagining brain turning into this hippopotamus in really large pants this entire during the entire like process of him working through this and it's just so that's how they sh- they gave you like that brain space to explain where all those weird non sequiturs came from which i loved it's 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 a really great show and i'm glad that your kids have been enjoying it john and i hope all of the children of the world who enjoy animation are are seeking this one out because it really does hold up and yeah it was a lot of fun talking about it so thank you john for coming on and uh and and getting us to revisit this series oh thanks for having me i i i recently remembered why i love this show and i have enjoyed talking about it as much as I've ever enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Um, we do a weekly podcast called Caffeinated Comics. Uh, you can find that on iTunes and on Stitcher. Or if you go to caffeinatedcomics.blogspot.com, you'll find every episode that we've done for the last three and a half years. We're, uh, we've become a very topical show where uh, this week we're planning on reviewing Ghostbusters. Um, but then we every now and then we also have guests come in like we've had uh, – uh, comic creators like the creators of Bane or the creator of Deadpool. Um, and it, it, we really enjoy it. We drink a, very large coffees. <laughs> so we <laughs> tend to talk over each other a lot as the show goes on. No, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, people should absolutely go check that out. Um, thank you once more, John, for coming on um, and talking to Brain with us. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.